tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the show this morning. Coming up, the Windsor Agreement. We discuss the detail. Concerns that Ireland is becoming a cashless society. Katrina Kenny tells us about her journey to have a baby on her own. Interior design with Karen Prendergast and our agony aunt Phil Prendergast will join us just after 11 o'clock. We'll also meet a, a Nina couple who have set up a rather unique business indeed. We have that prize for you once again uh, today, €100 Euro voucher for Aramont uh, Furniture in Nina. We're giving away a, a voucher every single day and it's by way of celebration of their brand new range of garden furniture. And uh, that prize is based on your interaction with us on the text and WhatsApp 083 311 whether you're joining in our conversations or coming up with something else. Just put Aramont at the end of your contribution and we will pop you into the draw. It's as simple as that. You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Now, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has said a new chapter in the relationship between his country and the European Union has begun as he unveiled a breakthrough deal on trading arrangements in the north in the shadow of Windsor Castle alongside European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Pat Lee, he is political editor of the Irish Times and he joins me now. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Pat. And thanks so much for your time this morning, Pat. Leo Varadkar has said that the Windsor Agreement has been hailed as a turning point for Northern Ireland. Do you go along with that, Pat? Depends on what the DUP do, Ran. I think. Um, uh, I think Jeffrey heard Jeffrey Donaldson on uh, on RTE this morning, and he is, uh, as he was yesterday, being pretty measured, but non-committal. He's saying the DUP will examine this, They'll come to a decision in uh, in due course. Wouldn't be drawn on a timeline, even to the extent that he wouldn't say whether the DUP will make a decision on this before local elections in uh, in May. So I think we may be all set for a period of will they, won't they, uh, when it comes to the DUP. And I just have no insight on what the likely decision uh, will be on that. I think if he does decide to uh, to accept the deal, then it will be transformative for Northern Ireland because it will mean the return uh, of the executive and the assembly, the return essentially of self-government for, uh, for Northern Ireland under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement. If the DUP decides mm. to uh, to reject it and refuse to go back into Stormont to operate the power sharing operations, then it's very difficult to see when that might return because I don't think this deal is going to be revisited either by the UK government or by uh, the European Commission. So I think you would be probably in for a long period of suspension of the institutions and very possibly when they come back, they might come back in, uh, in, a, in, a, changed, uh, in a changed form. So I think this is a really important 
point, not just for, uh, for, for Jeffrey Donaldson, but for Northern Ireland as a whole. And what did you make of uh, Sammy Wilson and uh, Ian Paisley Jr. coming out at record time yesterday? They couldn't possibly have uh, read through the agreement and sort of throwing cold water on it very quickly. Yeah, do you know, Fran, if you and I were to have this conversation last Friday and you asked me, what do you think Sammy Wilson and Ian Paisley will do if the deal is agreed on Monday? I, I think, I'd, yeah. I, think I'd, I would have been able to predict with a high degree of accuracy that's what, uh, that's what they would do. You know, there is, a, there is a comfort zone for a certain type of unionism and it's, it's found, obviously, in the traditional unionist voice that, that Jim Allister uh, is, is, is the leader of, but it's also found, you know, throughout the DUP, and it's very comfortable with being outside the gate shouting about mm. betrayal. It doesn't really want to operate the power-sharing institutions. Let's not forget that the DUP opposed the Good Friday Agreement. Now, look, clearly that's no longer the view of the corporate view uh, of the party, but uh, you know, suspicion about the European Union, about cooperation with the government of the Republic, suspicion also of British Conservative governments who have, let us not forget, a, a, a fairly uh, consistent history of, uh, of, of double-crossing unionists mm. uh, when it comes to institutional uh, arrangements. And there's a, there's a part of unionism that is kind of comfortable uh, with, uh, with, with that position. But and I think in a way there's kind of a struggle for the for the soul and for the future of unionism that will go on over the uh, o- over the coming weeks. I was interested to hear Jeffrey Donaldson say in that interview this morning that uh, you know that the, whatever the individual views of MPs, the party as a whole would come to its decision over the coming uh, over the coming weeks, and that view. Or that that process would involve input not just from MPs, but from MLAs, from councillors, from elected representatives within the structures of, uh, of of the party. And I think if you if you go back to the early days of the Good Friday Agreement, you know the the the, the struggles that David Trimble, the late David Trimble, used to have with mm. the Ulster Unionist Party Council to get us uh, on board. Perhaps we're looking at something like that process at the moment, but at the very least, there is going to be, uh, I think, uh, an intense debate within the DUP as to uh, as to where it should go. I heard Bertie Hearn say yesterday he was referring to the Stormont break, that mechanism for the Assembly to raise objections to EU law, that it was better than the DUP could have hoped for, even. Yeah, look, it seems to me now... Actually, spent half the day yesterday in in Clamelfran, so I um, I haven't gone through yeah. the deal yet in in very great detail. But just reading the accounts uh, of us last night uh, and this morning, it seems to me that you know, the EU has, has made very significant movements, and Rishi Sunak has won very significant concessions uh, over the course of uh, of these negotiations, and the Stormont break is one aspect not the only example of that but certainly uh, but certainly one mm. one example of it and I, I think that's an attempt to to address the you know from a unionist point of view pretty justifiable complaint about the lack of democratic input and accountability 
on the making of certain laws that at an EU level that would then apply to uh, to Northern Ireland. And seems to me the storm and break, I'm still a little, little fuzzy as to mm. how it would work in practice and in particular whether the the petition of concern type mechanism that it involves, whether that it would be sufficient for two unionist parties uh, to lodge a petition of yes. concern and the, thus trigger that, or whether it would require cross-community assent. I'm, 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 I'm a little unclear. Well, what about I'm confused about, about, Pat, there is whether the Court of Justice of the European Union, whether they could veto the veto, if you know what I mean. Um, it depends on where the book stops there, I suppose. Look, ultimately, when it comes down to, you know, the, the governance of EU laws, and, you know, it's only the most swivel-eyed lunatic in the Brexit Eurosceptic camp that believe that Northern Ireland should be uh, governed by the exact same rules mm. as, uh, as all of the rest of the UK. I mean, the whole, you know, the whole basis of of the settlement in the agreement between the original agreement between the EU and the UK was that the north would be different and it has to be different to avoid a hard border and everybody including the DUP incidentally and including all these loons in the ERG who actually voted for this in the first place let us not forget but the uh, everybody was signed up to the idea that the north would be different and it would be different to the extent that it would have uh, some participation in the single market and therefore would be governed by single market rules. And the adjudication of those rules will fall to the European Court of Justice. So it is not the case that the European Court of Justice will have absolutely no role in the North. What I guess everybody needs to figure out over the coming days as we examine the architecture of this agreement and try and apply those rules to real-life situations we just have to figure out exactly what the extent of that role is. And I'd be lying to you, Fran, if I told you that, that either, either I or Ian Paisley have done, the, have done that <laughs> to, to sufficient extent, yeah. Can I finally ask you, it's just a role that intrigues me, is Prince Charles in this? Now, as we said, the agreement uh, under the shadow of uh, Windsor Castle and all of that, but was that unusual that he would be political or do you see his uh, role there yesterday as political part? I think it's impossible you know to divorce the symbolism of him meeting Ursula von der Leyen mm. on the day that this agreement was uh, yeah, w w was finalised. It's impossible to divorce that from politics, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know... His mother managed to do so. I should say King Charles, by the way. But uh, his mother managed to do so, didn't she? You know, let's say... I, I, yeah, what I, in, what in, I'm saying is, does it point to a different sort of monarchy, I suppose is what I'm saying? Somebody that's more politically involved in some way. Yeah, it's intriguing, really, isn't it? Mm, yeah. um, I, I, I mean, in, in such matters, the, the monarch operates on the advice of, of the government. Mm. So if the government tells, you know, the monarch to go and meet somebody or to, to, to do something, then that is what the monarch has to do. But of course, if it was something that King Charles was deeply uncomfortable with, then I suppose he would have made some 
ways of making that known mm. Uh, mm. to the government. And the last thing then that the government would want to do is to be seen to push the monarch into a role that that uh, that that he was un- unwilling to take. So it's it's a sort of a delicate balance. But I think what we can assume, given how he fulfilled the the obligation, is that the King Charles was happy to do this. And you know maybe there is something in what you say. Maybe there signals. Mm. Uh, uh, maybe there signals a monarch who's willing to play a more political role, even if that might have. Horrified his mother, I suspect. <laughs> Indeed, Pat. I, incidentally, I should add, yeah. that, Fran, of course, that uh, I, I take all um, all all the insights uh, on the operation of the monarchy. Uh, I take from a, a long study of the British Constitution, but also from watching the Crown. So make of that what you will. <laughs> Pat is always a pleasure. You look after yourself. Thank you for your time, Pat. Thank you. My pleasure. Good morning to you. That's Pat Lee. Pat, of course, as he alluded to there, is a Tipperary man and a political editor of the Irish Times. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by Pat Lynch. Pat, good morning to you. Morning, friend. And good to talk to you today, Pat. Uh, we were intrigued with your comments that our reliance on other countries, the complete control of our housing market by private investors, uh, our self-sufficiency is gone. And you're sort of, you're sort of having a go at the Labour Party here as well. I'm having a go. Um, basically, I spoke about the Labour Party and they're having a future as well. And to be straight up there, um, I think Ivana Blatchett her comments and her. Uh, stuff in the door has been excellent up to date and I'm kind of saying to myself um, this is what this country needs we need to start seeing decent opposition, we need to start people coming up and she's a very good speaker and putting her stuff together very well but then totally out of the blue and I'd be really annoyed if I was at the next election putting on my into this party and then totally out of the blue she comes out or the Labour Party comes out with a thing that we need to have a Minister for Refugees. Mm. Now with all the things and you've heard this on programmes over and over with all the problems facing this country at the moment and the political system in turmoil because what sickens me is you'll give a week like we saw with Pascal O'Donoghue and the attacking him and that at the end of the week it ended up the people were attacking him and their affairs in order and we give a whole week discussing that in our parliament when this country is on its knees in an awful lot of ways mm. and then we have this comment coming out so I feel we're losing control of our country and the Irish people are losing mm. control and, of the country. And, and stay with the Labour Party for a moment. Uh, the, the embracing of liberal issues, and I mean, I'm thinking about same-sex marriage and the like, it, it hasn't been good for the Labour Party. I mean, they haven't benefited from that, and in fairness, it was they who pushed that in the, in that uh, Fine Gael Labour government. You see, as I said to you before, the Labour Party have lost its way for a long number of years. And where I was talking about the Labour Party and what the Labour Party stood for me was the grassroots of the Labour Party and how it was formed. Is, is that the Labour Party of James Connolly? Where, you I'm know... talking about the Labour Party that fought for... Per- workers' rights for equal pay, for equal uh, yeah. decent conditions for workers. But, like, we're seeing that being diminished by the the present-day politics. And for Labour then to come out, because where I see the refugee thing is, is a direct attack on the working class 
and the conditions and the living conditions. And as I said to you in the comment, we even not need, even having control over our housing. So what we're in a situation now is, and even I spoke about my own daughter there, about she not in a market even to have her own house. Mm. Well, with this influx of refugees, and I'm, ta- I'm talking about the influx of the ones that aren't contributing to the economy. Uh, I don't. I so don't. Are, see... are you separating Ukrainian refugees from yeah, other no, asylum Ukra- seekers? seekers? The Ukrainian refugees um, is a totally different. But what I want to talk about now, what I'm separating in this is. And I have them living around myself, different nationalities, and they're wonderful neighbours, they're wonderful people, they're all working very hard, they're contributing to the economy. We have Filipino nurses in our hospitals, we have Indian doctors in our hospitals. So where is the problem, Pat? Where the problem is, is these people even have a problem with the current political system, the people that are even coming in here to work. They have a problem with the economic ones that are coming in here and our whole economy right across this side of of the world is being flooded with these and it's it's attacking the very core of what I said the Labour Party stood for, that when people went out to work on a daily basis, they were guaranteed that they would have some control over their home, in other words owned in their home and whatever and even in Scandinavia where you're renting, you're renting for life we don't even have this system in our mm. political system here the renting is until course, the market but, goes but, up. But you'll forgive up. me for saying so they're two separate arguments really I mean we've, from, from a housing point of view and from a renting point of view we've been failed by successive governments for years and in fairness that is a separate argument and a separate conversation to what's happening with us allowing unvetted people into the country. Well, just even attacked in the housing, what has happened over the years, and I have looked at this and I've studied this, is we have allowed capitalism to develop. In other words, an economy and a political system in which our country trade and industry are controlled by private owners for Mm. profit. We have allowed these vulture funds to come in here, buy up property, and what we have uh, developed with our political system over the years is a reliant on these people to come in here. And unfortunately, that is the political model. Now, who do you see as representing your view, if anybody? Because again, again, Connolly... Uh, proposed that the Labour Party be formed to fight capitalism. I mean, that that was the the genesis of the party, and it's it's far away from that now. So, who is representing uh, your view? There's nobody representing at the moment, straight up. And I've seen opposition there talking, and as I said to you there earlier, they gave a week talking about nothing about fighting each other. And, and, and when I, you talk about opposition, are you talking about Sinn Féin? Are you I'm talking, talking about any opposition. Now, in fairness to some excellent independence that Catherine Conley, she's an outstanding member there, and her stuff is very much what I'm talking about. She'll talk straight from um, facts. She won't dabble around in rubbish and this is, she's a fantastic uh, TD, but like unfortunately and I don't see a bright future politically for what's there at the moment, okay, Um, because if you have two people mounting about something for a whole week and it's nothing about it at the end of the week and no outcome out of it and no consequences, it's a sad reflection on the political... And are you surprised that Sinn Féin hasn't provided real opposition to what's happening with these 
unvetted people coming into uh, the country because I would imagine the grassroots of the party would feel feel what you're saying to me today. You see, what we have as a political system at the moment is everyone is filling their pockets and everyone is kind of happy and we don't, um, you know... Um, bite the hand that feeds us so unfortunately that's the political system so you know you see it grassroots you see it even with policing with right across the board and you had a situation there even uh, Fiona Bonfield fair play to she brought up the situation about Newport and the drug situation yeah. and this is the type of stuff we need but what this is not getting out in the media and that's why I spoke about Fiona she's come up she'll say stuff on the thing now I've said this and I've said this at senior police and level. Well, where we have a drug problem in serious uh, big uh, estates in some of our cities, we might accept that to some extent. But where we have drug problems in a small town or village, there's a serious problem with the society we yes. have created. And, and it's in every town. It's and, in and every, village, and it shouldn't isn't be. It? Yeah. And they're mounting and spouting about closing down Garda stations here and there, and they're making up all these sub-sub stories. Mm. But we, we have to face this, and Fiona has highlighted right. But they can't we, get Gardy, Pat. They no, can't nobody's get interested in, in the gig, you know? They can't get him because there's an awful lot of things involved and what's wrong in, in part of the policing and you won't hear this. It's like somebody coming on to you and they're working in road safety. They can't talk about the way road safety is run the same way as you have a Gerda coming on. He can't tell you on the ground the facts of what's happening. One of the facts that's happening is guards are unable to do their job. There's political interference. The guards have been told do this, this and this and they're basically trying to pull this and shove this. And yeah, well, I'm sure they it. would deny that uh, profoundly deny that, that, that there's political they, influence. They, they won't deny it because, as I said, their political thing is what's keeping them in a job and they, on, they depend on this and this is where our political system... But what kind you, of political influence are you talking about on the Gardaí? I'm talking about stuff on the ground, even at local authority level. You have Jim Ryan there talking about it. You have stuff at local authority level. That's all hap uh, dealt with politically. Okay? So that's what you're talking about. And, like, people don't want to get into this, and I don't want to get into it in depth. But, like, there's people in jobs, even in local authority, are unable to do their job. They're being told how to do their job. They're being told, look, sort out that, make uh, make some excuses for this. We've fobbing and mucking, but at the end of the day, and this is what I want to talk about, our country has gone down the swanee, mm. um, and we need to start getting a grip of And it was said on several programmes, uh, who gives these politicians control over the way our country is run and make decisions on the country. Even that Quilcher deal, who gave a politician a, 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 a directive to give to make that sweet deal and allow some private investors to come in here and fire money at? Who gave a politician? Who voted them well, in? Well, the, the, the problem election? with the Quilcher deal was that they couldn't, now my understanding of this is they couldn't be recipients of funding as a standalone body because of European uh, laws and they needed to get into bed with somebody else to be able to uh, 
to use that sort of funding. Now, that's my understanding of it, Pat. Yeah, and you're probably right, and this is what I'm saying, they'll make up rules to, to make it okay for a, pro, a, a private investor to come in and, uh, in and make money out of this country. It's like, to simplify the thing of Quilcher, it's like you have in your back garden and you allow somebody to come in for the next 10 years, grow vegetables, and not alone are you not getting the penny out, but you're actually going to pay them for coming and growing the vegetables. Because that's what we're doing with this Quilcher deal. We're actually giving taxpayers money to these investors as right. well inside sure, the deal. Sure, didn't we do it with, with uh, you know, so many things over the years? We I mean, did, when we're selling off I'm the property that, you know, uh, was damaged by, the, by the, the downturn in the economy and all of that. Sure, look at where that went. Look at who bought that up. Vulture funds and all sorts of stuff. But you, you know? have vulture funds and another thing with these mm. vulture funds, there's no face or names being put on these vulture funds. Mm. I'm of the belief that some of the vulture funds are even people within the country. Um, I don't know. We mm. hear vulture funds. Well, they're, they're like, pension investment companies basically from, from America and you know all over they the They are, but like um, and I said, said to you the last time, mm. even Eamon Ryan, I'm into some of the green stuff, but to be honest with you, a lot of the stuff, mm. I'm probably 80% of it I not because it just doesn't make sense. Mm. And I'll give you an example of it. They're talking about natural gas in Shannon there. Mm. That's frack gas. Mm. Fracking is totally a, a thing. And I tell you now, the future of gas is I went into a, a electrical holes uh, shop there last week and I was talking about um, an oven there. My oven is kind of at the end of its tether. Mm. I'm told that in two or three years' time you won't even be able to get a gas oven. So I don't know what um, IDE has to get rid of all these things and what we're going to be doing. Are we going to be cooking with a candle? Like a lot of these stuff is mm. not making sense and a lot of it needs that. But at the end of the day and what I want to talk to you, this is our country. We need to start seeing this country being run for the people of this country and we need to start seeing politicians right. making rules that will better the people in this country. Okay, I must leave it there, Pat, but it's always good to talk to you, and uh, thanks for your time this morning, Pat. Thank you, and good morning to you. That's Pat Lynch uh, speaking to us this morning. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 83 Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Well, it seems that more and more businesses and organisations in Ireland are implementing a policy of card and contactless payments only for... Uh, financial transactions. Now, there's been a petition uh, circulating on social media that's demanding that the Irish government implement legislation which will make it illegal for a business or organisation to refuse cash where any financial transaction is taking place. Now, one of our regular contributors and panellists is Alison Devere Hunt of Cashel Mart, and she joins me now. Good morning to you, Alison. Good morning, friend. And good to talk to you um, today, Alison. You shared this online, so I'm guessing you're feeling strongly about this, Alison. I am. I believe that if cash is gone, we'll have serious problems down the line. Um, we saw it in the Aviva only last year when they had their uh, first cashless um, event with the American football. Yeah. Mm. and All the beer and all the food had to be given out for free. Yeah, because the system crashed. It did, it did crash. And like the thing is, look at Cyclone Gabriel. 
there recently in New Zealand where people were left without access to food and water because they couldn't pay for it because everything went down. Um, and the New Zealand government and the, the New Zealand Banking Federation are looking at that because they're saying in times when there's no access to money, they need to put something in place that people can you know, a cash to say cash. So yeah, it's something uh, that's major. And that was the people were of the impression that it was illegal um, not to accept a cash. But seemingly, I heard recently that if a business gives enough notice uh, to the public that they are, you know, that they have a policy of card and contactless payment, that that's fine. It's not illegal to do that. So is that why you want legislation in place at this point? Well, look, as far as I'm concerned, it's a legal tender. Um, I go, like, I remember going into Benefit up in Kildare Village a couple of years ago in the middle of the pandemic, and it was cashless. I walked back out again. I do, you know, I had my bank card on me, but it was just, you know... Principle. Not allowed to pay with cash. I felt that, you know, that was there was discrimination in that. Yeah, um, it, it appears that we're going down this road, Alison, and I wonder... How will we be able to stop this this train? Because it suits businesses to be able to do this. It does, but look, I suppose I can give a perfect example. During natural disasters, cash becomes incredibly important as a primary form of mm, payment. Yeah, uh, and in general, I think you know if we get rid of cash, you know, tipping even people like oftentimes people like to tip with yeah, cash. Yeah, it you know, would say. Charity collections, birthday cards, buskers, homeless, um, you know, rainy day money. Um, I think it is a legal tender. It should be there. Like If it's gone at the moment, say if you're doing a bank transfer to somebody, it, there's no cost attached. But if we get, if we come to a cashless society, definitely there'll be increased charges for sure. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and of course, everything we do is tracked in some way. I mean, there's information in a cloud somewhere about our purchases and about what we do, I suppose. Completely. For very wealthy people, there's all sorts of tax incentives for them. You know, they people to have a little bit of cash and be able to, you know, they've probably paid the tax on it already. It's part of their, you know, income. So why do the government need to tax surveillance on people? Um, give them, give the people more control over, you know, their own money. Um, it, it saves businesses in transaction fees as well. So, like across the board, it's definitely, um, I think, mm. important. And I think people need a level of anonymity. It's not fair that everything is under the microscope. I'm just thinking about your own business, though, in the Mart business, uh, Alison. I mean, previous generations. Uh, you know, farmers would have dealt in cash and maybe more recently by, by cheque. What is the current way that money changes hands now in, in a mart, for example? The current way is predominantly still cheque. And in 2015, they spoke about the abolition of cheques. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't come to fruition. But to even order chequebooks to pay people, it's becoming more difficult. And they're making it more cumbersome for you. You know, the waiting time, chequebooks are being made in the UK. So you could be, you know, you need to be a kind of ahead of the curve that you have plenty of orders in early that you're not kind of down to the last checkbook and fretting. It's interesting. Um, how is the petition going so far? I mean, is there a lot of interest in this? There is. I think globally there's a huge amount of interest. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And even 
say when you spoke about it, be, it not being illegal, people give notice. I think Dublin County Council yesterday, um, which said that MA Councillor uh, Paddy Houlihan, there was a cafe in Pala that were only charging cash. They're after putting an order against them now that they'll have to change their suit and basically they'll have to accept cash. So I think, yeah. like, I was, it was surprising that Dublin County Council, I, you know, would be involved in that. But I definitely think this is a more push from big business. Have you heard of the new Amazon Fresh stores in the UK? And, and what's the story there, Alison? The story there, they're these new stores, they're like supermarkets. It's, it's um, perishable goods they're selling, right. and all that, and there's no cashier, no checkout, no cash register. You go in, you scan your Amazon app, you take what you want, and you walk out of the store, and they send you a receipt by email. Right, like, so, so they're cutting down on staff uh, greatly, obviously, with that as well. Completely, and for surveillance. Like people, I don't go into a supermarket or and people's no. Your, your phone line is just breaking up a little on me, Alison. It might be where you're standing. I'm not too too sure. Sorry, Fran. Is that any better? Uh, just a little bit, yeah. And and you were saying, Alison? No, I was just saying that. So there, we don't need everybody knowing what we're buying. I know. Yeah. Know that there's a record of it all. It's just a little bit too much Big Brother is watching you. And I think if something did happen, like there's nothing more comforting than having a 20 in your pocket when, you know, you realise, oh, the card machine is down or my pin doesn't work or something, you know. Um, I definitely think it's a necessity. And I think it's a necessity for all all kinds of people, especially working people, you know, people that... And I'm sure... I think traditions are very important. Tooth fairy, um, birthday cards, things like that. I don't see the, the reason of getting rid of that. Right. Um, if people want to get involved in this, if, if they want to sign the petition online, Alison, how can they go about that? That petition is on, say, I should there on Facebook. It's on, oh, I can't, I have to escape and out. Yeah, it's no problem at all. Uh, we, we'll get Emma to get hold of it for us and I'll give it out there because I know a lot of our listeners will be interested uh, in, in this, uh, Alison. Uh, it's a pity uh, your line is breaking up on us, but really good to talk to you as ever, Alison. Thank you and good morning to you. That's Alison Devere Hunt there of Cashel Mart. What do you think about that? Uh, it, does it concern you that largely we're going uh, contactless payments and uh, card payments for our financial transactions? How do you feel about that? 83 311 I'll be speaking to my Michael Lowry in just a few moments. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, up to 134 patients were forced to wait more than six to eight hours for admittance to a hospital bed last month. And... uh, uh, some may have died, indeed, as a result of what is described as a very unacceptable wait. That's according to Deputy Michael Larry, who joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Yep. And uh, good to talk to you today. That's an incredible number. Where, where did that uh, detail come from, Michael? Well, as you know, I'm part of the regional group. Yeah. And um, 
we have been conducting research over the last number of months to get an accurate reflection of where exactly we stand and how each hospital is performing. And from the information that we've got back directly from the hospitals and those professionals working within the health service, uh, you know, we, those figures are arrived at. And the, the serious issues uh, in, with admission to hospitals, with the ambulance service and, you know, with step-down beds. And our contention in the group is that we have to spend more on community uh, services. We have to ensure that people are looked after in the community to take pressure off the health services such as the likes of Clonmel and University Hospital Limerick. And for a long time, Fran, we've been preaching this. This has been government policy now for at least 20 years. But what has been said about supporting community services is actually not being delivered. And we see every other day now, uh, I'm getting it in my office on a regular basis, that people and families who wish to care for those that are elderly or sick in their community would like to do so at home. Uh, they're simply not getting the support. The home care packages are there, they're funded, but there's no availability of people to actually deliver the service. And it's become a very, very serious issue. We also have the problems, as I uh, outlined in the last couple of weeks in the Dáil, about nursing homes. Mm. Uh, we even have a problem now in getting access to nursing homes. So the whole system is under enormous pressure. And our view is that we should be taking preventative work and doing far more preventative uh, medicine rather than allowing people to get to the stage where they have no option other than to end up in an acute hospital in an emergency situation. Mm. And we also have the situation where the, uh, there's huge evidence now to show that people are in acute hospital beds in Limerick, in Clonmel and in other hospitals around the country that should have been discharged earlier, which would make the bed free for somebody else to come in who needs medical care. Where, and the reason they're still in those beds is that there is no step-down facilities mm. available for them. We simply don't have enough to step-down beds. And with respect, Michael, I mean, I've been hearing this information yes. for, for, for years and years and years with yes. successive governments and all of that, but I don't see any vision of somebody doing something about this. Well, this is what's frustrating, Fran. I mean, I remember, and this is a long ways back, when there was a big effort made by the then Minister for Health, uh, Rory O'Hanlon, and everything was about community care. We had places like the hospital, district hospital in Turles closed down, the movement for all the small hospitals to close the hospitals and to cope with people and deal with people in their own homes, in their own communities. But successive ministers, successive governments have never made it happen. And that's why it's absolutely essential at this stage that the HSE uh, is, you know, that that model has failed us, that has failed the people of Ireland, that has failed to deliver the health, the quality of health service that's required. We have to move to the slanty care package. Now, we're making progress, but it's very slow. And I have no doubt that uh, it is frustrating for people working within the system for, and for those of us who are trying to we're seven, help is, people. It's, is it seven years we're into Shantikir at this uh, point and so much of it has not been uh, realised yet, Michael. So, like, yeah. you know, wh yeah. where, where are we with that? Well, it's an indictment on, 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 on the political system that we that the political system is not able to put sufficient pressure and to break up what is the monopoly of the HSE. The HSE, uh, Fran, I've said it on so, so many occasions, the HSE is a bureaucracy that is out of control. It is layered with management and the 
delivery of service in the frontline staff are being starved of the resources that they require uh, to do their job properly. And all of the parties have come together. We've recently had meetings in relation to Slauntecare and there is a huge push now to deliver on the Slauntecare programme and to move in that direction. And by moving in that direction, we will be delivering further funds, more resources, more personnel and more packages to, for, for to people to avail of community care. Why isn't this on front pages everywhere? I mean, you're, you're basically saying in your press release that people and large numbers of people are dying because of what's happening. They're dying because of this. Well, the professional healthcare people are saying in the, for the last two years in particular, they have been saying that people are losing their life because, number one, they're not getting timely care. They're not able to access the professional care they require in a timely fashion. Uh, we've always heard about the golden hour, and we're told for, for as long as I can remember, we've been told that it's hugely important to get medical intervention at an early stage. That's not happening. Our ambulance services are being up, dragged up and down the country. It's incredible to hear the stories from the paramedics and from the ambulance drivers and from the nursing staff and, on, on these ambulances, what is happening. And, you know, we, we see the ambulances stacked up outside hospitals uh, and p- patients still in the ambulance where the ambulance is required for another call elsewhere and they can't get away. So the whole system is in chaos and it needs urgent attention. That's why we put down the motion. That motion will be discussed in the Dáil uh, tomorrow morning. I'll be making a contribution in the Dáil on that. Right. My colleagues will do likewise and we hope that we'll get a reaction and a response from the Minister that it deserves. I'm sure that people are screaming at the radio right now. Uh, that's all very well, and a lot of people would agree yeah. with you. But this is a government that you ha- largely support, Michael. Well, I, I think, Fran, this is the message that polit- politicians in the constituency like to get across. I don't always vote with the government, Fran. I take each issue as it arises. Mm. I look at the facts. I make a judgment call. And I like to think that I vote in a logical and a sensible way. Sometimes I vote with the government. Sometimes I vote against the government. I Several times I have voted against the opposition, uh, which is predominantly left-wing. And I don't agree with some of the, the amendments that they put forward. That's the nature of politics. Uh, I, I, my vote... Uh, will vote. I will vote what I consider to be correct and so proper. So it's a case by case, is it? Uh, it's a case by case, and we had an example of that last week. With the um, mother and baby home, yeah. Yes, the mother and baby homes. Uh, I, I think the government got it wrong in relation to that, friend, and this is, was an issue, and obviously I've been in contact with people, and people have been in contact with me, who've been residents in the uh, unit in Ross Grey, so there's a temporary mm. element to this. And just for clarity for listeners, uh, Michael, that's the notion that uh, the objections are children who were resident in institutions for a period of what? From birth to six months, not included in the redress scheme. Is, is that the yeah. essence of what you object it, to? It was. It yeah. was, Frank. I think the government got it wrong there. The government decision to exclude those who spent less than six months in the institutions is unfair and unjust. And I think that that decision uh, devalued and undermined the overall redress scheme. Now, I have to say that I've worked closely with Roderick O'Gorman on a number of individual cases, and I, and I have to say that he did an excellent, excellent work through active consultation with the representative groups in, in the first of all, acknowledging the need for a scheme, acknowledging the wrong, and bringing forward a scheme. 
And the scheme in general, up to last week, the scheme in general had cross-party support. But then the minister lost the goodwill and support when he refused to allow access to the scheme for those who spent less than six months in the home. And that decision was mean in spirit. It is discriminatory, I've no doubt. And it's bad politics and and will almost certainly be challenged in the courts. And Fran, we all know uh, that mother and baby homes are, is a dark chapter in our history. It was shameful and disgraceful, um, you know, what happened. Every young pregnant girl that was forced or coerced into these homes, irrespective of the length of time that they spent there, they endured the same trauma and the same heartbreak and they should all be included in the scheme. Can I bring you into another conversation that we're having as well because those issues of antisocial behaviour, intimidation, squatting and dumping at Stradivore in your own town uh, of Thurless, there's a lot of concern about that, Michael. Is that something that's uh, come across your desk? It is, and I have to say from an early stage that scheme worked well for some time, that Stradivore housing development worked well for some time and then it is disintegrated and I currently... Uh, Stradivore Estate is in a shocking condition. It, it really is a disgrace. Uh, the filth and the dirt has to be seen to be believed. The behaviour of some of the tenants is totally unacceptable. And, you know, we know that there's drinking, drug-taking, noisy parties, followed by violent, violent rows. That's commonplace in, in that neighbourhood. And neighbours in the area... Uh, genuine decent people living alongside this are regularly disturbed by antisocial behaviour and um, I think we have to have a look at it the problem with this is that it's part private uh, Novus has some uh, mm. homes at the disposal there and um, I think they have appointed tenants, t- tenants there that you know in my view uh, they failed to follow up to supervise and follow up those tenants and some of the people who have been uh, made tenancies there uh, and given tenancies there uh, have behavioural issues and they need support and they need supervision. It's just it's, it's what's happening there at the moment is uh, quite extraordinary. Um, Jim Ryan came out on this and he was wondering whether or not the council could take over the estate um, in some fashion. Do you see that as being a possibility? Well, you see, there's, it's in the private sector. Yes, and, well, in terms and, of managing the estate, I suppose, is what he means. Well, I, 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 I think the first thing you have to do is when you have an estate, you have to be careful in terms of the mix, or the social mix that you put into state. You can't put in uh, people who have all the people in every home that has high dependency. Uh, and, uh, you know, this seems to be have been a free-for-all. Anybody who came and knocked on the door uh, was allowed in there. As a result, you have people not paying rents. You have people that are squatting there. Uh, you have people who call at home when effectively they have no legal entitlement to, meet, to be there. So it's an issue. I, I took it up with the housing officer uh, actually two months ago. They're looking at see what can be done. Uh, the Garda obviously are very conscious of what's happening there. They're patrolling it on a regular basis. Uh, we recently had a fire there, uh, which you know could have been very, very serious. Uh, there's a lot happening there, and mm. it's it's not acceptable, and it does need to be curtailed. And I suppose people have to be careful as well in case they're accused of discrimination against uh, people from certain backgrounds. Is is that part of the issue? Do you think? 
Well, I think the main, I think the principal issue there is that we have too many from particular backgrounds that are there. And they are people that are challenged in, ter- in terms of their habits and their behaviour and that they're not getting the kind of support that's needed uh, to, to bring them round. And they live, in, in a, they live a life of their own and with no respect for the people around them. And that's, 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 that's in my view, part of the problem. Right. Uh, one of our listeners wants to know, are you satisfied with the role of the Gardaí there? You, you, you say to me, Michael, they're patrolling that area. Well, the Gardaí obviously have to uh, respond and have been responding to calls. And they are there on a pretty, re- pretty regular basis, which would confirm uh, that there is antisocial behaviour. Uh, but the Gardaí can only deal with each case as it presents itself and deal with the circumstances and the facts uh, on that particular call-out. So the Gardaí have a role, uh, but I think the Garda's role, to be quite honest with you, is reactionary. What we need the council or we need whoever is in control of the state to take constructive action and to, I suppose, weed out, number one, those that are there illegally, number two, to uh, see how those that are have, have, have problems that they can be assisted to live properly and peacefully within that community. So I, I think the mistake was early on in the time, uh, it was students who were attending college that were there. Mm. But in the last number of years, uh, it seems to be everyone and anyone from any part of Ireland can come in there, squat there in a lot of cases. Uh, others who have proper tenancies invite others to stay with them. And you have a situation there where I think in many cases it could be overcrowded. And it's actually dangerous both for the local community and indeed dangerous for those that are inhabiting that particular centre at the moment. So we have alerted all of the agencies that need to be alerted and hopefully they'll come up with a solution and that we can improve the situation there. All right. Good to talk to you today, Michael. Uh, thanks and good morning to Deputy Michael Lowry speaking to us this morning. 1800-938-007. News and inf- information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks, Pat, and you're very welcome back to Tip Today. Hello to my lovely friend, uh, Joe Noble, and she was on to say what a great night she had last night in the Templemore Arms and she said I'm on a high this morning from it well I'm delighted to hear that uh, Joe met so many people there in the Arms last night and thanks as ever to Dan Ward and his wonderful team there for all of the uh, hospitality uh, as well and uh, I met my friend uh, Mary Gordon I hadn't met Mary for so many uh, years and I'm delighted to report she looked fantastic and was in uh, a great form as well and John and Breda were there for from Temple to Heat and uh, Geraldine and John as well. Geraldine, I'm sure, as we speak, is cooking in a Lockmore Cottage. And uh, believe it or not, I met two Kitty O'Shea's last night. 
And uh, one Kitty O'Shea was enough to uh, to <laughs> to put pay to Charles Stewart uh, Parnell's uh, career. But two Kitty O'Sheas uh, last night, and my old friend Pat Costello was there as well, a great uh, entertainer. And uh, yeah, we had mighty crack, mighty crack altogether. And uh, thanks, Joe. I didn't realise until last night that uh, you're a heavy metal fan, and I really have to talk to you about that at some point or other as well. One of our listeners on to say the health service is a sham, Fran. I've been waiting. Uh, uh, on a list uh, since 2019. I rang them last week to be told that it could be 2024 or 2025 before I get an appointment. My husband is on a waiting list as an urgent case and uh, has been told that it could be a year to a year and a half before he gets an appointment. Somebody else telling me that teenagers from the Stradivore Court uh, area going around with pit bull uh, dogs attacking and killing other dogs and they're getting away with it and nothing being done here it says and that's in from one of our listeners today now my next piece this morning is with uh, photographer Katrina Kenny whose artwork is synonymous with the Galtee Mountains and with the beautiful Glen of Arlow and she returned to songwriting after receiving notice to quit the cottage that she's been living in for 15 years in the hope that she will have monetary success to build a home for her two beautiful daughters. This is Katrina's story about her journey to have a baby on her own. We'll hear the emotional highs and lows, including a miscarriage and indeed thoughts of suicide at one point. She hopes that her story might inspire women who want to have a baby but whose relationships have failed to have a baby on their own. I didn't plan on having a baby by myself. I never did that. I, in my head, I thought, I'll meet somebody and get married in my 30s, you know. And, uh, and that didn't happen. I, you know, I, like, I just... But I certainly... Um, I, I, I would never have dreamed that I would go down the route of having a baby on my own. Now, I used to joke a lot and say, oh, look, you know, if I don't meet the right person, I'll go to the sperm bank. You know, maybe you should watch what you wish for. <laughs> So, um, yeah, like, that wasn't on the cards. You just, I think in your 30s, when you're younger, you presume these things will just happen, do you know? Um, And for me, like, I I fell in love deeply three times, and I had, by the time I got to 40, kind of my last chance, I I was broken-hearted for the third time, and I, I, I didn't feel that I could... I still don't feel, but I didn't feel at that point I could go through that again. And then I was 40, and, you know, then you kind of get a bit of a shake. Yes. And you st- but I still had a belief, I can have a baby. But in regards to a relationship, looking for a, for a man to have a baby with, I kind of weighed it all up. And I think, I thought, I'm just going to do this on my own. And I had two very inspirational stories from friends of mine. Uh, they were gay. And, um, you know, Claire um, was, a, was a single lesbian. And, you know, she decided that she wanted a baby. And she was quite middle class. And she, she went over to a shop. There was a, a coloured man working there. And she just said to him, look, you know, how about it? <laughs> and, I, I mean, I'm making it very simple, but it, what, she made it simple. And they went out the back and, funny enough, had sex on the photocopier and... Nine months later, most beautiful baby in the world. And she continued on. And, and this fellow knew that she didn't want anything from him. And he was happy with that. 
And then another gay couple I knew, they wanted a baby, uh, and they asked... Um, Gosh, he, he got a beautiful-looking man. He was from the West Caribbean. And she got pregnant. And, you know, um, so I had these inspirational stories. So what about you, then? What, you well, what did I decide? Well, you know, obviously people would say, oh, go off and have a... You know, I remember a GP actually saying to me, uh, not in Tipperary, uh, saying, oh, why don't you just go off and have a one-night stand? And I was like, no. First of all, I think that's quite immoral. I think... What about the guy? Mm. Uh, secondly, mm. what about diseases? What about how would you know? And then the other thing I really, really, really didn't want. I've always been incredibly independent. You know, mm. I have I've created my own business. You know, and all of that. So I was like, I don't want anybody coming back and claiming custody. Of course. And what kind of a setup is that? So before you even get pregnant, why would you be setting up a scenario of fighting? over a baby mm. and what about the baby what about the child what about going to daddy's going to mummy's so i said to myself do you know what i'm going to do because of course you see i thought it was easy um it took me six and a half years to have on your james wow and it was the journey to hell it was incredibly incredibly difficult and i i didn't nobody knew i was uh, the photographer and the correspondent of the nationalist newspaper so i was out and about and only my very very close Friends knew. Knew that you were going on this journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all, all the time, how, how did it begin and what, what happened along the way? Well, the first thing was I <laughs> I did what Googled <laughs> sperm banks, or, you know, and I got to this clinic in Dublin, which were very unscientific. It was just this, like, there was no scans or anything. You just literally, on your 12th day of the cycle, you went up and they did the sperm donation and you crossed your fingers. And I remember the day I came out with my friend Carmel. And I very much believe in miracles. I believe in everyday miracles. I, as I said, I did a lot of personal development training. And I remember when we came out, there was a double rainbow in the sky. And I took this as an amazing sign. An amazing sign. And then as the years went on and it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, I was really confused about that. Because I know that I know I got a sign. But you see, now... The double rainbow. It did happen, but the second, you know, not for another six and a half years. And I didn't, believe me, believe me, to try and have one baby was this miraculous, like it was this horrendous hell journey. But I like, I didn't even know if I could have one baby. So, so to have two babies by the time I was 48 and a half was, and still is to me, Unbelievable! It's 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 you know. Tell me about some of the lows along the way, some of the the difficulties, because there was a considerable amount of difficulties. There was a lot of difficulties because I think anybody. I, I've I've often said in hindsight, I was on my own doing this. I said, if you were in a couple, if you were in a relationship, in a couple, whether married or as partners, if you survive IVF, you'll survive anything. I I went to give up many many times and. Often, you know, I had a clinic in Dublin after the, the first attempt and obviously, like, there was no scientific look, looking at scans. So soon enough, I thought, I think I'm going to have to do more than that. So I went to a different clinic in Dublin and I used to often, after coming out of the clinic, I would just cry all the way home. I, I'd be driving, obviously, but I would just cry all the way home. I'd come home, I'd get, I'd c come in the door, and I'd just crawl into bed and put the duvet over my head. Because if anybody, anybody who suffers 
any anxiety or mental stress, and, and that is a particularly stressful situation, it's the mind. It's so busy. It's, it's on at you. It's like, oh, you know, what did you do? What didn't you do? Why didn't you do this? And why didn't you, you do this? And uh, what news were you getting in Dublin that had you so... Yeah, well, I can give you uh, the worst uh, point, the lowest point of my journey was, and I think I was possibly three... Two, two and a half, three years in. So, you know, obviously you have to have the perfect cycle as a woman. And then on day 12, you go up and they would scan you. And what they're looking for is, is that your follicle, <laughs> I didn't even know what a follicle was, but your follicle is has to be 18 millimetres before they will do the sperm donation, before they do the procedure. So, I mean, I've never looked at the size of my, How would I know the size of my follicles? You know, say, for example, I went up on the Monday because uh, I can't quite remember the dates, but I went up on the Monday and they were like, oh, no, 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 you know, your follicles over only 12 millimetres, Katrina, so come back, come back on Wednesday. And you're like, OK, you know, it will, and you get in the car and you say to yourself, it will be 18 millimetres on Wednesday. And then I got back up Wednesday and I think it was 14 millimetres. And you start to be, what you feel is, I felt a fail, you know, you're beginning to fail as a woman because this is, you know, as a woman, you're supposed to be able to produce children and as a man, you're supposed to be able to just you know, to produce the perfect sperm. And when I went back up on the Friday, and obviously, like, you'd be praying, you know, uh, this particular technician, you know, she did the scan and she said, you know, she said your, your follicle is only 14 millimetres, so do you know what? If it's not 18 millimetres the next time you come back, I just wouldn't bother. I just wouldn't bother coming back. And what she didn't realise, my world collapsed. She was telling me, you can't have a baby. And in my mind, because we all have, we don't need people to criticise us, we, we do a good job. I was just a failure. And I was, my world crashed down, I thought. And then I thought, well, if I can't have a baby, because I had other successes, I thought, if I can't have a baby, I don't want to live. So I came out into the car, and my entire attention was to find a wall to drive the car into at 100 miles an hour and kill myself because I was a complete failure as a woman. I couldn't grow my follicle to 18 millimetres, so why bother coming back? Help me to understand, as a man, that drive that's in you to have a baby. What, what is that? How do you describe that? Um, I, I can, all I can tell you for me is... I always had big dreams, you know, f from a young age. I wanted to be a singer, and then I realised I was really good at music, and then I realised this, and I realised I wrote a book, and then I realised this. And I always uh, had this drive for dreams. And as I said, in the background, I wanted a family, but I was doing all my career. And, my, you know, my, my, my father suffered with ill health from the time that I was 13 upwards, and that's why we moved back to Ireland. They were both from Ireland. And... You know, Dad's sickness was there, and I, every time I felt I was making progress on other things, I'd be called back to look after Dad and help Mum. And then my mother got sick. So I think when Mum died in 2007, I was 37 at that point, but I think I, 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 I really uh, flourished as an artist and creativity and the photography and everything. But even though there was all of that, and I came to live in Rossadrehid, and I, I created a really good life for myself so I, ha I was happy but there was this th there was something missing and the missing thing for me was a baby and at that point because I had 
had broken heart and I, I did not want to take a risk on love again, then there was just the baby, wasn't there? The family, I thought, I'll get married in my 50s. That's what I told myself. Do you know, you'll be older and maybe a bit wiser and you won't be so bad at picking men. <laughs> you know? mm. But the baby, it just I, I just, I just wanted to have a baby. And I knew, too, that the baby would be the makings of me. It would be the full circle. So I think a lot of women that I knew, when they got into the relationship, that was their... They felt whole. Yes. I, 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 I looked for that, and it didn't happen. So I, I felt, where was my life going to be? This, I remember asking myself a question. So here you are, you're in an idyllic cottage. You, you, you know, you, you've, you're creating an idyllic life for yourself. Well, it will delete the, the relationship at the moment, because we know that doesn't work. So, but where am I going to be in five years' time? Here with my cats. There's nothing wrong with being with cats. But I felt it's not enough. Tell me about the miscarriage, because, again, that was another low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was an unexpected. Not that any miscarriage would be expected, but mine was totally unexpected. So by the time I got to the IVF, uh, what happened was the first one... Um, that didn't work. And then the second one, I got pregnant. And, you know, the excitement of doing the pregnancy test. <laughs> and do you know what's gas? Can I just dive, divert a little bit quickly on that one about the pregnancy test? It's amazing. So when you have IVF, you have the procedure, the embryo is implanted, and then you have to wait two weeks to do the test, right? right. So then in your brain, you tell yourself it didn't happen because you'd go crazy thinking about, am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? You know, and... Uh, <laughs> and then the morning you go to take the test, you won't take it because you're so afraid. You're so afraid that it's going to be no, that you won't take it. So you've, you're, whole, you know, you're peeing into... I peed into a cup because I was busting for a pee, but I knew that was the pee I needed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is all the craziness that goes on in your mind. Uh, and then... And then I had two cups, two pee cups, because then I didn't... I thought, well, if, if it does say I'm pregnant, I really need to make sure I am, you know. So... Obviously, the ex, you know, amazing miracle. And I went, it's all incredibly intense when you have IVF because most people, when they copulate, uh, that she doesn't know she's pregnant until she misses a period, which could be four or five weeks later, or it could be two months later. But here we are under the microscope, you know, you're waiting two weeks then to go down and have your first scan. To, for the for the clinic to confirm that you you know you are pregnant and that was perfect that was fine and then I had to go back again so a bit of timing here lads but I had to go back again and uh, you know so the first time when you go down and they confirm it you think that's it this is incredible I'm pregnant and what happened was was I went back then for the for the next scan uh, I think at that point it was five weeks around the five weeks five and a half weeks and I could tell by my nurse coordinator's face. You know, they put the probe in and I could just... I knew, like, we had been on the journey and I just looked at her and I went, what's going on? And she said, Katrina, um, 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 look, I'd have to go and get Dr Khan or, you know, and I was like, okay, okay. And, you know, I remember thinking, this, what's she going to tell me, you know? And he came back in and he said, look, um, the baby is not developing. 
you know, the little spinal cord. At that point, they call it the rod, I think, if my memory serves me right. And it's not, um, it's not developing. And he said, look, I don't think this baby's going to make it. And you're just looking at him. And I'm, I was like, because I, I was still taking drugs at that point, the IVF drugs. So it hadn't, like, what do you mean? Why am I taking all these drugs? How could I possibly have a miscarriage when I'm taking, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing? So what, what, what are you talking about? And it was absolutely devastating. And I then remember Eilish, my nurse coordinator, saying, look, look, we'll leave it a week and we'll see what happens. So, so, so leave it a week. The baby, it might, maybe the baby will be perfect next week. Do you know, sometimes these things can happen. They're not grown at the rate that we expect them to and all of this. And uh, so the first thing that happened was I remember I was with my friend Carmel and we just, I cried all the way home, but we couldn't speak. And then I did my thing. I told you my, my MO at the time was... I came in and I went up and I put the duvet over my head and uh, I cried and cried and cried. And then I said to myself, well, hold on, though. There's still hope. And I believe in miracles because not the really, really, I mean, the big ones, obviously, you can tell I believe in them now, but even the small daily ones. And I said to myself, look, I have gone to the ends of the earth to try and have this baby. So what I need to do now for the week is... I need to get onto miracle workers, anybody I can find, and create a miracle. And I need the hand of God to come down and touch this baby and say, you're going to be okay, everything's going to be okay. So I immediately rang some alternative practitioners that I, I know, and I said, you've got to help me, okay, we're in this situation. And I was literally on this action plan, do you know? And I said to myself, when I get back next week, and we have that scan, that baby's going to be perfect. I will have created a miracle. Because I believe in miracles, I'll create the miracle, you know? And equally, at the same time, I had this amazing, when I look back at it, it was a revelation. And I really believe in my angels, because trust me, for the downs I've had in my life, I have to believe in something. And I had handed my life over to them when I started the journey. And I said, listen, lads, <laughs> come over here to me a minute. Come over here, lads. Listen, lads. Um, you know, I want to have a baby, and you have to help me. But I had always asked for not just a healthy pregnancy, but a healthy baby. Because I said, look, lads, I'm on my own. I'm going to be what they call a geriatric mum. Do you know that? The minute you hit 36, I think. You're... So I said, I can't, I, I can't cope with anything else. You know, I wouldn't be able to cope with a severely disabled, you know, disabled baby. And also, can you imagine going through a miscarriage at six months or eight months or, God forbid, anything happening at the birth. So I had always said to them, please, please, please make sure I have, you promise me, you know, you'll give me a healthy, healthy baby. So I had this realisation, Fran, this is what got me through. Pretty much 48 hours out after being told that this baby might not make it, and I said, they are looking after me. It doesn't look like it, but look at it. They are looking after me. Because if this baby isn't going to make it, it's not going to make it. And isn't it better to have this happen now rather than three months, six months, nine months into pregnancy and even then something happening at birth or having to make decisions afterwards? So I really got this sense of calm and trust. That's what you need in every trust. I trusted them. I trusted them. So by the time we got back to the clinic the following week, 
and we went into the room and just I know this is intense for people and it is intense because it is a matter of life and death after all I remember going in and I had this amazing sense of calm and the gas thing was was my poor nurse coordinate was standing there and she was crying my friend Carmel was in the cor corner praying and crying and I was the only calm person because I had accepted I had acceptance if the probe goes in and the scan shows the baby isn't is not going to make it then I, this is a blessing. They are looking after me. It's okay. And that baby, the spirit of the baby, I really believe, is okay. Because the spirit of the baby who chooses you, I really believe that, will just go on to another family. Or maybe come back to me later. Do you know? So the baby's okay. The spirit of the baby's okay. The miscarriage will happen. But the baby's okay. The spirit of the baby will just go and find another family or maybe come back to me later. And but, I left. But you had accepted it. I had accepted it. So tell me the good news then, because of course it did end up with good news. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the third time I went, I was very lucky, Fran, too, because a lot of people go seven, eight, ten. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, as I said, if couples can survive that, I was on my own. If they can survive that, they'll survive anything. And yeah, the third time lucky. And I did the pregnancy test, and then I was very wary up until 20 weeks. Do you know what I mean? I was wary. But, yeah, uh, everything went great from day one. I had a pretty easy pregnancy, except a mor morning sickness. And um, I had a very, very healthy pregnancy up until the time Arnie James was born, with the exception that a week before I developed this cholestesis. I didn't even know what that was because I didn't attend any antenatal classes. And um, that's just a... It, it can be very dangerous for the baby. And just a funny, again, see, little funny stories. So my consultant was um, head of the actual fertility clinic, you see, the court fertility clinic. So it made sense to have the baby under him in, in the court maternity mm -hmm. hospital. But uh, I developed this cholestasis, which could be, can kill the baby. It's, it's, it's quite dangerous. And uh, I remember going into him and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, he goes, how do you want to have the baby? I went, well, how do you think I'm going to have the baby? I was <laughs> like, what? What? He goes, well, you can have the baby. I'm going to have the baby. How do you think? I'm the vaginal baby. You, where's the girls? Is? And he was like, uh, well, he said, if I were you, Katrina, he said, look, I look at you and you look 35, but down there you're 45. And he said, I highly recommend you have a C-section. Sorry, this was before I found out I had cholestasis. And I went, OK. And he said, has anybody spoken to you about, you know, that you'll lose all your muscles and you could be incontinent? And I'm looking at him because nobody tells you that. Nobody tells you that. And the fact that I'd be 45, you know, I mean, I'm not a young woman, you know. And uh, anyway, so, but he actually said, so I said, look, I tell you what, I said, I I'm really bad. You have to be really straight with me. I can't do subtlety. I don't read it. Are you telling me I should have a C-section? And he said, well, put it this way. He said, if you were my wife, he said, you'd be having a C-section. And I went, right, but do you like your wife? <laughs> 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 and uh, anyway, again, walked out of there, said to my angels, you know what's going to be best for me. So if you think I should have a C-section, that's what's going to happen. And if you think I can have my natural birth, and within four days I was back down to the hospital because I had cholestasis, and they said, you're in Friday for a C-section. Tell yeah. me about that feeling when you got on your James into your arms. Tell, oh, tell me about goodness. That. The miracle of it, Fran. The miracle of it is unbelievable. And if that wasn't then, I remember when Anya James was... By the way, I, I had spoken to the spirit world all my life, but I'll tell you about it another time. But I knew there was two babies, and I knew Oshin was waiting. 
I knew he was waiting because I'd spoken to him because when I'd asked which one of them was coming first because I thought I was going to have twins when I when I seen two spirit babies <laughs> when I was talking to them but that is a bit bizarre for people and I I apologize if that's a bit too much to throw into the conversation but um you see there was another embryo left and I kind of knew in my heart hearts I couldn't leave it behind and I sure I had, I didn't I in my at that point it was Oshin a boy so Anya James, she was talking at a young age, strangely enough. Uh, she, um, she said, I want a baby sister. And I thought, well, I might be able to give you a baby sister, but I know Oshin's waiting. But um, so I went, I went back and had, I, I, had, I used the, the last embryo. And, uh, and now you can imagine the appreciation in your heart and soul and every cell of your body at that point that I had one baby. I mean, crumbs. I mean, winning the jackpot, winning the lottery, everything, and feeling in great trust about the whole thing. So I went back, and again, I just said to my angels, it's up to you guys, isn't it? You know, if this is to be, it will be. And it, it was to be. And it was her sibling, you see. So. And why not Oshin? Yeah, I don't know. Oshin, uh, Oshin, again, I don't know if people know this or believe in it, but... You know, we chose our parents, you chose your... And seemingly this is to do with we come down and we learn our life lessons. Mm. So Oshin was there, but this is what I think happened to Oshin. <laughs> and I didn't find out... I, I didn't know... I, I didn't find out with Anya James whether she was going to be a girl or a boy because it was the first one and it was going to be a surprise. Yes. And, uh, and Anya James, by the way, so Anya is my mother and James was my dad, so she's called Anya James. She was two days old and she started smiling at somebody on my right shoulder and I knew it was my dad and I got the message, well, what about James? You know, how are you going to... So, Anya James, that's how Anya James came. But going back to... So it's 20-week scan and because I'm a geriatric mother because, mm -hmm. of course, at this point, how old am I then? 48. I had Nora Shawn when I was 48 and a half, so something like that anyway. So, uh, they, you know, they do recommend having that 20-week scan and I, she said, do you want to know, <laughs> do you want to know the sex? I said, I already know. It's a boy. Because you might want to change that. Because I'd asked for the sex of the baby. So I was really confused when I came out. And I was a bit upset because I thought, what happened to Oshin? I know what happened to Oshin. So at that point, I had my great friend Carmel nearly practically living with me. I'm surrounded by women. <laughs> yeah. There's already a baby girl. He's looked down and he's like, oh, OK. I uh, I think I'm going to... How am I going to play sports? I'm going to move on here. And I have utter faith that, A, he thought that and moved on, and I, I would have utter faith that he's in a family of boys right now, boisterous boys, but also Nora Sean, I reckon, would have kicked him off and said, Oi, look at the care and attention. Look at that place down there I in Rossiter. Look at that in the mountains. Look what's going on down there. Uh, it's, go on with you. And so she came. That's lovely. Is Katrina Kenny complete now? I am complete, and I think that if if uh, a man comes in now, that it will be very different because I'm already incredibly content and happy. So, you know, he, he won't have to try and make me happy because I am. I have... I have I can't, how can I ask for anything else except for a house? You want to build a house and somewhere very special for the girls. Yeah, so. I do. I mean, I love... I've lived in the Glenavano, or I've lived in Rossiterade for 15 years, and I've lived in this wonderful cottage that I rented, and circumstances have changed, and I've been asked to leave. And 
Uh, obviously, as we all know, there's nowhere to go. I always had a dream of building my own house. That's why I went back to songwriting, Fran, because although I'm a photographer, and that's great, but <laughs> I need big money. So, I'm again, I'm looking for the miracle. And the miracle is... I can songwrite. I have to believe in myself because you have to believe in yourself. And wouldn't it be fantastic if, as you said to me, it only takes one song. It only takes one. And that could pay the mortgage of a house. It's just refreshing to say this isn't about me. So the pressure is different. Actually, there is no pressure. I don't feel any pressure um, because it's for the girls. I want to create a home for them in the Glen of Ahalo for the girls. Katrina, pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> and that's uh, Katrina Kenny's story there. If you want to support Katrina on her journey uh, to build a house, she's got some gorgeous artwork uh, for sale. And, of course, you can uh, pre-order her upcoming autobiography as well. So it's katrinakennyphotography.com. That's Katrina, C-A-I-T-R-I-O-N-A, katrinakennyphotography.com. All right, we'll be talking interior design in just a few moments. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com Listeners as um, uh, delighted with that uh, refreshing honesty from Katrina Kenny about uh, a very unspoken truth about what women go through. And well done to Katrina. I hope others, especially women, will support her now and uh, donate so that she can build this uh, beautiful home for her and her baby. So there you go. Karen Prendergast is our interior designer and she's with me in studio. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, friend, and all and, the listeners. And nice to see you today. You're going to talk to us about something I know nothing about because I'm colourblind, Karen, <laughs> so you're going to have to walk me through this. Um, colour combinations and all of that. Yeah, Karen. so today what I've done is I've done some colour matches. So if people are listening and they're interested in doing up a room themselves or the exterior of their house, I've come up with some colour combinations. So grab a pen and paper and um, I'm going to list off some different types of colours mm. and shades that will work in everybody's house. And I suppose I, what I've went with today too is kind of um, some colours that are very in for the last couple of years. So as I'm going through them, I'll talk about them. And um, if anybody's any questions, um, let us know or they can contact me afterwards uh, by text or yeah. email and I'll help him out too. Okay, no we'll give out so, that number. So lots to give. A little later as lots well. To give, so right? where do we even start, Karen? So, so I'm kind of thinking, well, tomorrow's the 1st of March and we're thinking a little bit about maybe painting the outside of the house. Not necessarily this minute, but hmm. I'm driving around and kind of the sun is shining and the, we have had a lot of good weather so I'm looking at front doors and different things and of course being in the job I'm in, I'm extra interested. In. So I have some exterior colour matches that I'm going to give you today. So mm. the first combination is green and cream. So a front door, a gorgeous, gorgeous medium colour green in a front door is called Sweet Caper. Mm. Beautiful colour. And on the walls you could put something like stonework. Now these are names of paint so if people look them up they'll be able to Google them and see the colour and whatever. So that's the front door in a medium kind of a muddy green sweet caper and the walls stonework absolutely mm. gorgeous and 
sometimes people overthink the outside of their house when they're painting it and they maybe use three or four colours. Mm. You don't necessarily need to use three or four colours. Two is fine and maybe three. And a great tip for people is if that part of, you know, at the end of the wall in the front, sometimes we people have deep ones, Some sometimes they're much narrower. It's not a bad idea to paint that the same colour as the wall as well. So you don't have to have three colours on the house if you don't want mm. to. Mm. And also the surround of the wind, the windowsill, I would always say go with a deeper colour. But the surround of the window, so the part of the window, the reveal that yes. comes up from the from the windowsill, I would nearly always paint that in the colour of the wall. Would you? Yeah, I would. Mm. Yeah, because then it sits back. It makes the house look a little bigger and it's more uniform than putting the windowsill colour the whole way around the house. Now, I don't want to, for anybody who's done that, it's not that it's wrong, but I'm coming up with maybe a new suggestion that um, I think makes all houses look bigger, Hmm, regardless of the size from the exterior. And because you spoke to us last time round about painting PVC windows and the like, would you, what would you do with the windows then in this case? And again, I suppose... I get lots of questions all of the time. Oh, I'm getting new, I'm buying new windows and doors. So mm. I'm buying new front windows and door, maybe windows for the whole house most likely. What colour am I going to go for? You know, and there's always different colours in vogue and in fashion. Mm. So I would say it depends on the size of the house. It depends on how much wall that you've left when you take out the windows and they're painted and the front door is painted because I live on a a street, uh, you know, on a street in in town. Other people have a two-storey house or a bungalow or whatever. So it does depend on the shape of your house, does depend on the colour of the windows already existing mm. because a lot of people out there would have had the timber effect windows, you know, that kind of oak effect. Yes, yeah. And mm. um, so they might have those windows. So it's not every colour will go with those windows. People will have grey, which most colours will go grey. So it depends on the colour of the window. A long-winded answer, mm. but there's never one direct answer. Right, okay. You know, hence yeah. hence my job. So uh, we spoke in, I think, the first week in January or the second week in January about pink being in trend. Do you remember that? Yeah. So I'm going to give a kind of a really, really nice pink colour um, for outside for a front door and then a colour that you could put on the walls that would go really well with it. So the front door colour I'd be suggesting is called pink chocolate. So it's again, it's a muddy pink. It's not a bright pink. It's not a, it's a, a loud pink. And Portland dock is a very good colour with that. That's a grey colour. That's for the house itself? That's for it? the house itself. So right. it would be the front door, pink chocolate, and the walls, Portland dock. Right. And is that very obviously a pink that would be on the Yes, house. it is, but is it? It, it's a medium, it's is a it? medium muddy pink. So it's not bright, it's not luminous, it's not pink, it's more a grey pink. Right, okay. Gorgeous. And of course, what did I do today? I didn't bring my colour swatches. <laughs> <laughs> At the last few times I was showing you mood boards yes, and swatches, okay. then you know I'm colour blind, but you still got it. Yeah. yeah. So the next colour I'm going to matches I'm going to go on to for outside is grey. So I would be suggesting the front door, which is a dark grey, which is very in vogue at the moment. Um, the grey colour would be Templar grey. So that's T-E-M-P-L-A-R mm-hmm. grey. And a great uh, wall colour for outside with that is Portland Dock. So it's really, really good. And I've used that with the, the pink chocolate. So you can see if you have freshly painted your house in the last year or two and you'd like to change up the front door, it's very possible just to change up the front door. You don't have to paint the whole house. Right, okay. Yeah. So some of the ideas that I'm giving you today might work just on, on people's front door as well. Yeah, it's very good. We, we've had the house pink for as long as I can remember. And uh, we were thinking of changing 
this year for the first time, you know. Now, I wouldn't know it's pink, so it's a very light... Yes, kind, and kind it, yeah, it, it sits in. It's yes. not a standout pink. Yeah. yeah. And if you bought that, we'll say, when you're buying colours off an exterior chart... Mm you know, from whatever company that would be, the colours tend to not stick out, friend. They yes. tend to sit back anyway because they're made, then designed specifically for outsides. Right, because when some people hear about pink, that you're just, they immediately think something that's garish. Absolutely. Yeah. But when, yeah. you're, when you're buying from an exterior chart, the colours are always going to be work outside. Yeah. They could work inside as well, but they are definitely going to be not as loud as inside right. colours. The only fear I'd have... Karen would be something might look great on a chart, but Jenny Mac when the and it's back again to the shape of the house, yeah. the colour of the windows, um, your surroundings. You know, is there grass? Are you, is it tarmac and whatever? So mm. again, where does an interior designer come in? It's all those aspects that you take in. So I could be somebody could be buying a new bed, for instance. I had a client this week that's buying a new bed and doing putting down a new floor in her bedroom. And the first thing I asked her was, "What colour bed linen do you normally buy?" Right, because that will dictate, even though the bed linen, bed linen will be the cheapest part of the room because the person is doing up the room, but the bed linen matters awfully afterwards. So if a person likes plain white bed linen or plain cream bed linen or somebody might like pattern bed linen, they might have six lots of bed linen that they'll mm. change, you know, different times of the year, love bed linen, well then that'll matter to me when I'm thinking about the interior design of the bedroom. That's very... So do, do you... Are you very into matching? Because I, I watch some of these uh, design shows and stuff and sometimes it appears to me like they threw a few cans of paint on the thing because it's it, it's not necessarily matching, but still it kind of works. Yeah, I suppose it works. But I would say, again, in this instance, we're, we're talking about um, the outside, but yes. you just mentioned the bedroom. But, I mean, the bedroom, the one thing that's going to be changed in a bedroom is the bed linen, you okay. know. So if your floor is a basic colour and a basic finish and your bed is good well then you can change your if a person has trolls or bed linen or cushions or whatever you can change that all the time yes you know so I think the basics are very important that they're neutral that they're calm and you can throw any amount of colour on it after that so if you've got your floor right you've got your your walls can be changed your bed linen can be changed if you're doing kitchen presses we're going to go on to interior colour, colours next it's important that the basics in my estimation are neutrals or colours that will stand the test of time that you're not going uh -huh. to get fed up Would you be horrified if I told you that I saw a black front door on an old Georgian house and I thought it was amazing. It was stunning, yeah. And it would work. Oh, right. You're not horrified no, by that? absolutely not. Okay. I had a black front door for probably six years and then I changed to red. And funny enough, in that house, I never liked the red after the black. The black was my force, was my gut, and right. it really worked. Yeah, isn't that incredible? I thought you'd be horrified no. by that now. It just goes, goes to show you. Let's go interior then. What, what have you so got for interior colours, because I know people will be listening with pens and paper, so I don't want to not give them the information. Mm. So I'm thinking off-white off for timberworks, doors, skirtings and architraves, if you don't want to use just basic white, mm. which is super. Anyway, it's the first one will be milk teat. M-I-L-K-T-E-E-T-H and the second one will be a classic white which not isn't brilliant white but just enough white. So they're great interior colours for timber work, skirtings, architraves, kitchen cupboards, bedroom units, all that kind mm, of thing. But not doors. And doors, oh yeah. And doors. When okay. I, yeah so yes. I'm saying timber work, doors, skirtings, architraves, okay. uh, units in bathroom, units in the bedroom or kitchen cupboards. Mm. So then green is on trend. It's absolutely huge this year. So I'm going to give uh, three colour combinations for green. So the first one would be classic white on the walls, 
and I'm talking maybe about a kitchen area here, or and schoolhouse green on the units. So that's classic white on the walls mm-hmm. and schoolhouse green on the units. Now, schoolhouse green can also be used on the walls and the white mm. or one of the off-whites on timber work if you're doing right. a sitting room what, or a What hallway. kind of a green is school? That would be green. a muddy green. Would it be a medium muddy green? So right. quite dark, mm-hmm. not very bright, but really on trend at the minute. Okay. Okay. And I'm never coming to you without my colour charts again. <laughs> <laughs> never, friend. Absolutely never. Yeah. Um, and my next one then is another green because I'm giving out three greens today. So it would be milk teeth on the walls mm-hmm. and standing tall on the units. And the kitchen cupboards is a really popular colour for kitchen cupboards at the minute. Standing tall. Standing tall. And that is with milk teeth. Those two colour combinations are fantastic together. And the third green that I have is the first one I would say for could be the wall, would be the wall colour, would be Winter's Brett. Now, there'd be a lot of people familiar with this colour. Mm. Okay, so that's Winter's Brett. And if you were to pick out some furniture or an island unit um, or um, something like that to go with the milk teeth or the classic white, I would say four arches. Now, it's quite a dark colour. Oh, it is very dark, chart. isn't it? Yeah. But this is being used a lot for one wall in a in a room right. or for an island unit at the moment. Okay, very good. So, so it would complement lighter colours. Absolutely. Is that it? Yeah. And Winter's Brett is a great one with that. Right. So then I'm going to go on to tops. So I have my first colour combination is Temperance, which is the lighter colour, and Covid Feather, which is the second colour. So I have I have charts here with me, friend, that'll show me these colours. So that's temperance. So that mm-hmm. could be your wall colour, it could be your furniture colour, or it could be your units colour. And then down the bottom, I love this colour, COVID feather. Okay, what what colour is that? I would say it's a top. Okay. It's a medium colour top. It's not a light top, but it's a medium colour top. Right, okay. And it's gorgeous. So that is temperance and COVID feather go really well together. And if you were doing... You could do your classic white on the walls and your timber work, or do your timber work, and you could do our, our ordinary white. Mm. So that's temperance, COVID feather, and classic white. My next one is subtle. Now, this is a colour I use quite a bit because it goes with the majority of colours and the majority of furniture or carpets or flooring in houses mm. when I go in and they're just maybe doing a paint job, is subtle. Right, okay. So that's really good and a gorgeous colour to go with that. Even if you had a small downstairs bathroom that you wanted to paint or pick out a wall or paint a whole kitchen in it if you had an old house old bone mm. it's stunning so those two together are absolutely gorgeous right and you know the, the names that you're giving us there like milk teeth and uh, what is it temperance and winter breath yes. and all that does that apply to, to different brands of paint no it doesn't so when I'm giving out these colour combinations they work well together so Different brands have different colour combinations. Sometimes I swap from one chart to another chart and I match them up that way. Okay. But normally charts have them done in that they've their tops, their greens, right. their yellows. But I suppose, ju- I'm just thinking of listeners here, for instance, if they want to see... Google, if they, they Google, Google milk the teeth, it'll come up. That's all I need so, to So, you know, okay. every week I, I can't give out specific shops, specific course, names, yeah. but if you Google milk teeth, you'll get that brand. If right. you Google winter's bread, you'll get that brand. Okay. So on my tops, I have another colour then. My third colour is a choice of Oyster Bed and Reinvent. So that's Oyster Bed. Okay. And let's find Reinvent. It'll come up now for me in a minute. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, it doesn't but anyway, there are yeah. two other colours. They go great together. Now, the, the three tops 
colour combinations I've called out. They're quite similar, but they're okay. very different if you're trying to match a specific item you already have in your house. All right, very interesting. If people want to find out more from you, because of course I know that you look after project management as well as everything else, Karen, how can they make contact with you? They can give me a call on 086 606 9009. I'm on Facebook, Instagram and uh, my website is interiorconcepts.ie. Very good and Emma will help uh, all of those contacts as well. Karen, great to see you and uh, thanks for that masterclass in colour. I'm going to get to grips with it all soon. I uh, I will, honestly. (laughs) Uh, News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Too big. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Um, still getting lots of people onto us to say how much they enjoyed the interview with uh, Katrina Kenny today, one dissenting voice from a man. And it says, Ah, Fran, I wonder how many people are listening and interested in a woman having children. <laughs> Do you know, for for once I'm speechless, there is no answer to that, sir. There is no answer to that. Anyway, 083-311-3311. Now, we're with you every single weekday morning. Phil is shaking her head here. Um, we're with you every single weekday morning. Uh, from 9 o'clock and uh, this morning Alison de Vere Hunt spoke to me about uh, the apparent move towards a cashless society here's just a little of what she had to say to us after 9 like I remember going into Benefit up in Kildare Village a couple of years ago in the middle of the pandemic and it was cashless I walked back out again I did, you know I had my bank card on me but it was just you know Principal. not allowed to pay mm. with cash I felt that you know that was, there was discrimination in that yeah, um, it it appears that we're going down this road, Alison, and I wonder how will we be able to stop this this train because it suits businesses to be able to do this. It does, but look, I suppose I can give you a perfect example. During natural disasters, cash becomes incredibly important as a primary form of mm, payment. Yeah, um, and in general, I think you know if we get rid of cash. You know, tipping even people like oftentimes people like to tip with yeah, cash. Yeah. If you would say charity collections, birthday cards, buskers, homeless, um, you know, rainy day money. Um, I think it is a legal tender. It should be there. Like if it's gone at the moment, say if you're doing a bank transfer to somebody, it there's no cost attached. But if we get if we come to a cashless society, definitely there be increased for sure. There's no doubt about. It. Yeah, and of course, everything we do is tracked in some way. I mean, there's information in a cloud somewhere about our purchases and about what we do, I suppose. Completely. For very wealthy people, there's all sorts of tax incentives for them. You know, they people to have a little bit of cash and be able to, you know, they've probably paid the tax on it already it's part of their you know income so why do the government need to surveil surveillance on people 
And that was uh, Alison Devere Hunt uh, speaking to me just after nine o'clock this morning. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on tip today with Phil Prendergast. Phil, that intro always makes me smile, and I never know why, but it really makes me smile. How are you, anyway? I'm very well, thank you. Good, and fresh and well, you're looking. You took a nice little brisk walk this morning. I did, Fran, but I had to break into a canter because I miscalculated the The distance between where you come over that bridge (laughs) and where you turn in to come in the back way. So I had to go and do a little clatter on the 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 road there. You're you're fit as a fiddle, you see. I don't know about that now. Not not a bother on you. Um, All right, let us uh, get down to business then. Letter number one. Hi, Phil. I'm a man in my 40s and I work in a large building with a number of offices in it. There's something that's bothering me the last few weeks. I know it's not a big deal, but it really aggravates me every morning. I have my morning routine down to a T, but so does another person. Every morning as I enter my office building, there is a lady who works in the same building, but for a different company, who walks in ahead of me, but she never holds the door for me. I've noticed that it doesn't matter how close or far away I am, she will always let the door close, sometimes in my face. It's not that it's just one door, either. We have to enter through a series of doors. It's like, get smart here, isn't it? And she will let them all close in my face. I just think it's very rude. It really irritates me and puts me in bad form for the morning. I've tried before to get in ahead of her and hold the door open for her, hoping she might return the favour the next time, but she never does. Why do I have to be the only one who is chivalrous just because I'm a man? It really irritates me. And do you know what the worst part of this is? What? Because it's so, it's so it's kind of silly. But she's not even aware of his existence. <laughs> Doesn't is, even know. Is that, that what's she, troubling him? It probably <laughs> is that she's unaware of it. Now, a large building with a number of offices, mm. a number of doors to go in. Yeah. Now, surely to God, it's not just one entrance. There has to be another way in. This man is looking for something to pin an irritation upon and get vexed about it going into work every day. What is the point even of that? It is a pointless exercise. She's not aware of his existence. She's right. not going to hold up the door and say, I'll do Monday, Wednesday and Friday <laughs> with you do Tuesday and Thursday and we'll do alternate weeks. Like It's so silly. He's after deciding that he's mm. going to be irritated about something that he has no control over, right, but except it, that he could change his routine. Is it a case, though, that he has old-fashioned good manners and, you know, he doesn't see this reciprocated in some way and he's wondering about Look, this, there's know. certainly an element where you'd have manners. If you saw anyone coming, you'd hold open a door mm. for anybody and particularly somebody that might have to get, get in in a wheelchair or with mm. a pram or a buggy or whatever. Um, you certainly would have a cognizance of that. But this would appear that there's a number of obviously different different businesses in the, in the mm. one building and people just have their heads full of stuff they have to do when they go in and mm. they might have to do actions on their first five items before 10 o'clock and have their meeting, they might have to just do their head is not wondering will I open the door and hold it for him and will he do the same for me or will he run ahead and open the next door? I mean it's it's really... It's irrelevant to It's her, irrelevant, yeah. Irrelevant. And I mean, it, it can be that he decides she's being rude. I would say she's not even aware that this man mm. is trying to be full of chivalry and then feeling unappreciated for it. Yeah, but at the risk of causing a row, um, there's a thing the last couple of years I notice, uh, Phil, and like if you stop to allow women out in a car, for instance, very few of them will say thank you at the moment. Yeah, it's, or you it's let them cross a road, they, whereas guys tend to do it. Is, is this got something to do with the, 
I, I don't know. The whole I, I don't know. I would say I'd, I'd say it could be that their heads are probably fried, friend, because mm. they could be on the way to schools. It's pickups. There's people parking on over the place. Yeah. There's a whole load of things you have to be watching out. Of course, when you're in the vicinity of a school, anyway, it has to be safe. Mm. And because you have children, maybe running off the leash or whatever, they could mm. be. You need to be safe. Um, so I suppose maybe people aren't as aware that you know to give somebody a nod or a little wave if somebody lets you out and, and people are very good and it is appreciated but I do think around school places and things like that people they have to be keeping their eyes on the child they have to be keeping their eyes on what's happening with other cars and what way people are parked right because it can tend to be chaotic and finally where do you stand on the business of a guy opening a door for you and holding it for you and stuff to you I wouldn't have I'd have no expectation of someone doing that for me right. and I would well, thank somebody offended if it happened and not at no. all okay. nor I wouldn't be offended if I held a door for somebody yes. and they didn't say thanks when they went past or whatever I'd be just yell you know, well, yeah. you know. So it's not, it's not an issue. It's not something I think about. Right. It's not something I give. You I'm know. Are, are we reading too much into this? If we say, does he actually want to meet her and engage with her? As long as there's something in that. that well, it's not like... working. The doors, <laughs> meeting at the door is not working. He's going to have to find a not different happening. approach. It's going to have to be. Maybe he should fall the mat and fall in ahead of her or do something that is going to engage a conversation. Oh, but right. I'd say she has no awareness of his contrariness over there or his existence, the, 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 or his existence, and he's there full of chivalry and feeling bad about it so you know it's yeah, he yeah. needs needs to do a little bit more perhaps with his life than oh, just boy. be getting irritated for the day about so, something like that our second it's the kind of thing I'd be irritated about every so often I'm sure um, our second letter dear Phil my closest girlfriend and I have been friends since secondary school we've always been close and have shared all the ups and downs of life she has always been a great friend to me, but there is something about her behaviour that has always grated on me. Since the day she met my now husband, she has made no secret of the fact that she finds him attractive. She would always make flirty remarks to him and sometimes was a bit full on with hugging and touching him. She always laughs it off and I thought over time she would calm down. But ten years and three children later, she still does it. She's also married to herself and will do it in front of her own husband. It's become a running joke among us uh, that she will make a flirty comment, but I don't find it funny anymore. The straw that broke the camel's back for me was when we had a party that my friend and her family came to. As the night wore on, she started doing a dirty dance routine, gyrating up against my husband. Everyone laughed, but I got really cross. I was told by her to lighten up, and we always have that kind of banter together. But I told her it's too much now, and she said I must be tired from the party. I'm so mad that she doesn't recognise the disrespect and won't stop it. I would never in a million years behave with her husband the way she does with mine. Is it just time to end this friendship? Oh, for the love and honour. It's like as if these two women exist in a little parallel universe. Why wouldn't this woman, who is bothered by her friend's advances to this woman's husband, why is this husband absolutely facilitating this behaviour. Yes, there's no mention at all of his reaction to this. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I, I I, think I would be saying, if it was my husband who was having all these approaches made, I would be saying, would you ever stop being so available or tell her to fake off? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like as if it's only these two women exist in this friendship that was a schoolgirl friendship and now had they, they're mature women. And this is a behaviour that's really is not okay. Mm. Um, it might be harmless, but I don't know. The, this woman is is clearly aggravated by it now. And she's asking, should 
should she end her friendship? No, she shouldn't end her friendship, but she should just say to her, listen, you have to stop behaving like a, a, a young one um, and behaving like that with my husband. I don't want you behaving like that. And say it to her, and if she says, oh, you're just tired and say, no, you're just being unreasonable because you're not listening to me. Mm. So I would, I would try to just call it like it is. Do you think she's trying to aggravate your woman by, by her see, dirty part, dance routine? And all well, look at it. I suppose there was drink taken, and and yeah. anything can get dirty after drink. <laughs> but it's just that God I bless it. think <laughs> yes. I think that she's um, she's putting she's now to the point where she's thinking of ending the friendship. Yeah, her friend has no idea of that. But her husband and this woman's husband seem to be silent partners, like they're allowing this behaviour and they've accepted it as a norm when it's clearly now an aggravating factor in the friendship. So I right. think your woman has to go to her and say, listen, I, it's we've been so friends for so long and this seems to have become a little sort of a game with you. It's not OK now in this context. So you have to be completely plain about Absolutely. this and simple about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And don't yeah. want to end a friendship but like stop behaving like like as if you're you're at a party and you're on the make and that it's 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 okay because it's not okay. But what this woman needs to say to her husband, what do you think of the way she behaves with you and why do you not say to get busy doing something else or yeah. You um, know, it just seems it seems a little bit off. To, it's interesting that there's no mention of the husband's reaction to the dirty dancing. I, like, I would have thought, well, of course, I'd be given daggers if it was... If would it was, you? Oh, Lord, I'd be saying, like, what, what's, what's, what's the next part of this? <laughs> you know? But right. it, it's just yeah. that it's it's... It seems as if the lads are silent and this woman is talking about ending her friendship when in fact she needs to have some plain speaking and say, listen, you need to stop doing that. Right. You're getting a bit long in the tooth. And what? If it doesn't happen, then end the friendship. Is that it? Well, you see, if it doesn't happen, there's something, it's it's bizarre. Right. Because she may be unaware. She might just think, just the banter they expect when we go over there and this kind of... It's yeah, childish, we're, we're great crack. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It might, it's, it's just a little bit stale, perhaps. Okay, um, let us move on to our, our final letter then, letter number three. Dear Phil, my son is 16 and is about to do his junior cert. He is a good enough student, uh, does enough to get by, but doesn't love school. In the last year or so, he has also separated from all his old friends that he had in primary school and started hanging out with a different crowd, and uh, that concerns me. They would be known as troublemakers in school and I'd be afraid of what they get up to outside of school. I've tried to be supportive and get him to invite these friends over to try and get to know them, but he won't ask them. He says they prefer to hang around town instead. I'm hoping it's just a phase. My issue is that after this year, he has the option of doing transition year. He has said he really doesn't want to do this because none of his current friends are. So I see this as a great opportunity to separate him from the gang. I went against his wishes and signed him up for TY next year. I told him last week and now he's not speaking to me. I understand that I need to respect his wishes, but I genuinely feel that this is the best decision for him, that he can make some new friends and try out some new subjects that might spark a bit of joy in him again. Other than meeting this group in town, he never leaves his room. He's given up all the sports he played and all of his old friends. I'm just so worried about him and did I do the wrong thing? I think this young fella is probably struggling. He, The mum needs to follow and she needs to involve the dad as well, but she needs to um, investigate you know, a bit more. If he's given up all his 
old, all his sports and all that, these behaviour changes could mean that he's suffering with maybe anxiety or he could be under a bit of pressure because of the different group in school or changes mm. that are happening for him and puberty and all that jazz that's going on with that. So it could be that she needs to do maybe a couple of approaches. One thing would be to go in and talk with the teacher that is over his class at the moment and try and find out if he is in some way, is he gone into himself a bit or, you know, ma'am has certainly noticed his behaviours changes. The dad is not mentioned in this either so I would just say that, you know, it could be a joint approach. Now, she, I, I don't think she should have just signed him up for transition year without asking him. Yeah, that concerns me now. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, because that's kind of just saying, well, and and yeah, he is still a child, mm. but there there is a degree where you start giving respect. However, the young fella has sort of closed himself off, so she needs to handle it with a bit of diplomacy, just making sure that there's nothing awkward going on with the young fella or that he might be having challenges in his life that she's not aware of. He might be having issues around sexuality. He might be having issues with pressure from other people and he might be really regretting, I suppose, stopping all the games and the things. But it sounds like he's a little bit under pressure and I think it would be important to talk to his his teacher Mm. in school. I think to sell the transition year, year thing, would be that it is it's the school year sounds like a year it's not a year it's a very short period of time and when you break it down into the different modules and the fact that they might go and work in an exciting place and you know do something really diverse and different and give them a kind of a a challenge it's like having a a year off Mm. in school before he has to come back and, and knuckle down it does it does seem like there is something bothering him. Mm. So if she can't get through to him, the fact that he's not speaking to her now, I think she needs to have a giant approach her and the husband. First thing I would do, I would talk with the school. Second, I would sit down and talk to the dad and say, look, these are the changes that are happening. This is what she's given up. This is what she's given up. It seems a bit odd that he's been able to do all that or maybe it wasn't noticed that he's not going running and he's not going yes. rowing and he's not going soccer and he's not going to whatever it is that they might be playing. And that, you know, but it, it just says, I'm hoping, she said he's, he's ho- she's hoping it's just a phase. He said that they prefer to hang around the town. But what are they doing in the town? Mm. If there's nowhere for them to go, if they're going in somewhere and playing a game of pool, fine. But like, you don't really like to think of young fellas at that age kind of hanging around unless they, they have a purpose in doing that. So, they, they, you know, she needs to be sensitive to the fact that he could be struggling. It could be a good idea just let his dad have a chat with him. Mm. And just say, listen. There's no mention of a dad, though, so I don't. I just no, don't know but what I, I imagine, do. I imagine um, that there is. You know, it doesn't say that he that he doesn't that mm. he, you know that yeah. it's a single family. Mm. But she's just said it's in the last year he's separated from all his old friends that he had in primary school, and he started hanging out with a different crowd. It could be that these guys are involved in things that perhaps they shouldn't be, mm. and it could be that he's worried about it or he's a bit depressed. She certainly should investigate the change in his habits mm. and the changes he's made because he could be very confused and he could be really needing some help. Yeah, but 
she does need to involve him in decision making. Absolutely. Yeah. And you see, I think maybe that's what, you know, he's he's not speaking to her now. He, he's not speaking to her because she signed him up for transition year. Yeah. And she kind of told him. And it depends how you talk to a child as well. And he's he's on the cusp of mm. adulthood. Yeah, he doesn't know. see himself, I'm sure, as a child. No, he doesn't. You know? But yeah. I suppose he does have to have some degree of just, he just can't say, well, I'm giving that up and I'm giving that up. I've given this up. I'm going out with those lads. Um, no, I don't want to bring them home to this house because we're not children. We're big fellas and we're going into town. Mm. But that's a worry as well in this environment because you, you kind of don't want your 16-year-old out and about. But you do have to give them freedoms. Of course. But so much of your advice really, Phil, comes down to communication, doesn't it? It does. Know? And it yeah. is. It depends how it is done. And and when, when we get these letters in and we see that it's and I know the person writing that problem doesn't, they know that they have a husband perhaps and they have other siblings or mm. whatever mm. Um, or they have some sort of a pattern of what's gone on before it could be that this little fella is a, an only child he's on the cusp of his life mm. and he is he's getting mixed signals I suppose mm. the fact that he could give up these sports and that and it did it happen incrementally or did he just decide when oh, I'm ditching yes. all these and now I'm going with this fella and this mum has seen a change in him mm. so she needs to she needs to get back communicating and, and, and not at him at best though that could be natural I mean he's 16 he's in a time of transition absolutely, he's in a time absolutely, of change yeah, and, you absolutely know. but I think the best thing to do would be to say look we, we don't want to be going on with this clearly this is an issue Clearly, I should have given you the respect of saying to you, listen, this is this is what the plan is for our transition mm. year. This is why I think you should do it. This is what, you know, have a chat with the teacher. See, has he gone down in any subjects? Is he not paying interest? Is, is there other, is there something going on with them that, that they're unaware of, the parents are unaware of? But this mother is not singularly, you know, she's she should have any decision she made about the child should have been discussed with him. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting indeed. Communication, communication. Phil, it's always good to see you. Thanks very much. Thank uh, you, indeed. And by the way, if you want to. Uh, have Phil look at an issue or a problem. All you have to do is email us and it's tip today at tipfm.com. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie A couple in Nina have uh, set up one of the most unique and wonderful businesses that I've heard about in a long time and they're now taking part in the Irish Business Design Challenge and are hoping for your votes. Our reporter Alison Highland was in Nina yesterday to talk to Nikki and Donalka to find out more about metal and mallet. From the shores of Loch Derg, one man has taken driftwood and transformed it. And it's not just what's washed up on Tipperary lakes, but also fallen trees from storms right across the county. And even old furniture and agricultural and steel machines are taken in and remodelled to make anything from kitchen and bathroom cabinets, mirrors, tables, bowls, doors and even curtain poles. 
This one-time hobby is now a unique and sustainable business run by Nina couple Nikki O'Dwyer and Danica Ryan. I sat down with them at their home in Nina this week to find out more about how this business started. The inspiration for where we are now is, is definitely, it would be Donna. He's the driving force. That's where it all started. I suppose I'd, I'd been messing with wood and fooling away with it there for a while and it was slowly becoming a hobby and I was buying the odd old tool here and there and starting to gather wood. Now this is God, 15 years ago and I still have some of that wood there. I just started to appreciate uh, the beauty in wood and, and even the likes of old cast iron, the way that it was made 100 years ago that's not been made today. It's, it's the craftsmanship that's not there anymore. And then about 11 years ago, uh, our little baby son Donna was born and he passed away, unfortunately. And it changed both me and Nicky. It, it, it does change and you stay changed forever. And uh, Nick had got a picture of him that we wanted to put up in the wall and she'd asked me to go downtown and get a picture for him. And I tried everywhere and I could not get the right picture for him. Nothing seemed to fit. So at that moment... I decided that I had to make the picture frame and I had these bits of driftwood that I got from the lake. So I made the picture frame for Donna and we put it up on the wall and it, it something just clicked inside me that said, I got to, you know, I got to move on with this. I got to start taking it seriously. And from that day forth then, I suppose, every piece I made, I, I spent a couple of seconds thinking of Donna, every piece that I made. And I suppose he's been my inspiration on this journey. And still is. And still is to this day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every piece I will think of him, I'll say, all right, Donna, let's get going on this. And it could be 10 seconds, and but he's always there with me, always, yeah. And there's no better showroom than your home. Yeah. It's incredible. And the stuff that you've created, I mean, anything from light fixtures to doors, mirrors, even curtain poles. Do you have a project in mind when you see the wood or is it the wood that will dictate? What way does it go? What comes first? It's... Almost a combination of things. It's I don't kind of sit out and think I'm going to pick up a piece of wood and I'm going to make a bowl out of this. I, in a way, I wait for the wood to speak to me. I know that sounds a bit arty or whatever, but that's the reality. Like at the moment, I have a piece of bog oak given to me by a, a guy who used to uh, um, carve wood, and he's finished with it, and that's sitting there and it's been sitting in my mind now for the last uh, six weeks. And it's been turning over and turning over. And now it's slowly starting to develop that I'm going to use kind of um, almost uh, 60s architecture. The, the curves. I love curves uh, involved in furniture rather than the straight lines. So it's the wood that it takes to me what it's going to become. Yeah. I, I, I don't... I don't force a piece to become something that it's not, you know. Yeah. yeah. Nikki, when did you, I'm sure you were a big um, influence then behind pushing this into becoming a business, essentially. Yeah, um, I think, essentially, Donica used to disappear, and I think, oh, God, he's reading a cup of coffee and reading the paper outside uh, Maroonies, but uh, every so often he'd um, come home and he'd have a picture of something he'd started and... Then after a week or two, I'd see him move forward on it. And, you know, after a period of time, it would he'd come home and bring it home. And they were just really different pieces. 
Um, and I thought, hey, we're onto something here, yeah. you know, because, you know, I'm like a lot of people, I, I love fashion and I love interiors um, and, you know, buy the magazines and follow the celebs and all the sites. And, and I did not see anything like what we were creating. A lot of people, you know, yes, they're working with wood and but what we're doing, we're creating pieces of art. Um, which have a story to tell. Everything has a history. Everything has a story to tell, but they also have a function in the home. And that was very important because I don't know about you, but I remember years ago, we all had a good room and nobody arrived in yeah. there. And on Christmas Day, you spent the week prior to Christmas cleaning it, you know, and the water for crystal vases that were won on uh, golf tournaments, etc. You know, yeah. and everything had to be shined and the smell of vinegar. But that's I think that's gone. Every room now is used, you yeah. know. Um, so what we then thought, listen, let's give it a go. Let's give it a shot. What's amazing about your business as well, all the wood that you use is Tipperary wood. All the salvage is locked yeah. so everything you use is Tipperary. Yeah, and I suppose that's what makes us different as well. Donica cuts the wood, right? It's all storm damage and it's all fallen trees. It's all local um, trees. So he has farmers who are friends. So it's basically a bartering system where they'd ring and say, listen, I have a big tree here. You cut it down, you take the wood. This kind of stuff goes on. Um, but it's all, it, like, it's trees that are falling down, you know, after mm. storms and stuff. That, and that's very important. And then in turn, um, what we do is we replant sampling, saplings and when they're ready, then we plant them around the town. Wow. So, so um, it's totally sustainable. Yeah, totally sustainable. And all the all the driftwood is from Loch Dark, Um And then the metal is all salvaged. Um, and then we we don't use a kiln or anything. We dry the wood traditionally, and we we assist in the sporting um, of the wood also. So yeah, and we don't use big workshop machinery. Everything is like hand labors, hardcore. No, must be a long process. It, then, it, is it? Listen, you're talking realistically three and a half years. It's three years to to season the wood approximately, yeah. and then we have a room in our house. Um, and we leave the wood there to kind of bring it to temperature and season again, you know, to climatise essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the design per, um, process starts. Um, and because everything is, is chainsaws, hand, you know, grinders, sanders, it just is labour intensive. Like I, I'm Chief Sandra. I've given myself that title. It's fantastic. Now, I have to say, I, we entered the, a competition recently, which we'll talk about, but I actually went as far as uh, promoting myself to a marketing and sales manager. Excellent. You know, Why not? It, listen, I think self-promotion is the Absolutely. only way to go. You know, I'm all for that. So, yeah, I went from the showcase in, in the RTS in January. I was saying I was Chief Sandra and people were looking. So I'm now promoted. Everybody. You were telling me as well you did the Nina show as well. That was yeah. kind of the first big show that you was, did. Were you nervous going into that? Because you don't know, like, you love what you do but you don't know is everyone else going to love it listen if you asked me to work in a shop or work you know I would I couldn't because I wouldn't have the confidence to do it I don't know what it is about this business um but I because I believe in it I I, I don't get nervous yeah. I actually love it and because I know everything about the process and ev- and I believe in it and I know the histories and the stories yeah, can I, I, can I just interject oh, there for a minute well. oh, oh dear oh. go on Donica. no I, I've seen a new side to Nikki, and I, I love this, right, is that we went over to Arabon and Nikki stood behind a stall, and what temperature was it? Minus four, we were oh. outside. Minus four. From half one, I got home a quarter to ten. It was, it, it's... It was the coldest day I've ever had. It was Arabon, their Christmas show. Yeah. And there was markets outside in the back. Yeah. So that's where we were, but we, none of us realised 
that it was going to be minus four. Mm. And the person who really sold well that day was the girl selling the jackets. You know, the jackets for the mall, uh, for the seats. Yeah. They're just, they're, the the outdoor swimmers. Yes. She, <laughs> sold, she sold out, but mm. the rest was froze. But anyway. Yeah, but even, just going back, even you were talking about the sustainability and like there's a couple of the little saplings that are growing out there at the front. And it's, it's so simple to do. Like I think more kids should be encouraged to do it because yeah. I remember as a child, in school, we were planting acorns, and I have a tree at home uh, in my uh, home place out in Beline, and it's 40 years old now at this stage, and it's a good 30 feet high in the really? air, like, yeah. So if all kids could be encouraged to plant a few acorns or whatever, I think it'd make a huge difference, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it makes it sustainable then. And when it comes to, to driftwood in, in Loch Derg, then, is that hard to come by, or would you be surprised by how much you can gather there? Would you believe... There's a, there's a thing about driftwood, right? When a big storm kicks up around here, we'd be literally rubbing the hands up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on, girls, let's go. <laughs> but, up at six. Come yeah, on, but, beat but, the crowd. But you, you have to be aware of what you're doing and because you can't just go in and pull up every bit of wood and bring it all home because driftwood plays a natural part in the environment as well. So basically what I will do is I won't touch that and it's there has been there for two or three weeks. That's part of, of the, the natural system there. I'll wait for something to be washed in. I'll take it home. I'll take my part out of it, whatever I need out of it, and I'll return that piece of driftwood the next time we go back in. So that becomes part of the environment. Right. So we're just having minimum impact on, yeah. the, on the environment, you know. People aren't educated, really, in terms of what we can do with stuff that we would regard maybe as rubbish yes. or unusable. Yeah. Yeah. Do we need more education in that regard? I think that... I've been looking around and there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, the type of stuff that we're making out I've, there. I've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I it's... People would say, well, you have to be a bit mad to make it like you do. You have to be a bit... But well, it's, it's yeah. the eye. Like, when you come in the door and you saw the mirror and it's the rear, the fender of the Morris Minor hanging yeah. up on the wall with the mirror under it. I mean... It's just your neighbour is not going to have it. That's the reality. Yeah. And it's, you stop and went, God, it's that kind of a reaction you get. But you had, both of you have a vision. And maybe both of you together is the perfect pair. Yeah. But yeah. There's because a vision we do. There. We do yeah. debate things. And it's and that's interesting because Donna could say, I want this, you know, what do you think of this? And I say, no. And so we actually have a good debate. Yeah. And that's good because you get a different perspective. Yeah. So Donna might take it on board necessarily yeah. all the time. <laughs> I'm really joking. But like, He's still, it's a thought-provoking conversation. Yeah. yeah. So he might just go off on a different angle. Mm. And that's what happens. Every every part of the design, the discussion takes place. Yeah. yeah or so, sometimes if I'm, if I'm making something and I meet a brick wall, and you, if you meet a brick wall, you can make the mistake of trying to force it. And you know, what you have to do is take a step back. And I'll bring the piece home to Nick and I'll say, what do you think? I have three options. And I'll run them by her and she'll go, I think that'd work. And then I go away. And that's that works sometimes. Now, yeah. sometimes I don't agree with her, yeah. but that's how it works. Like, Would you, you ever know? hit a brick wall mid-project and think, this isn't going the way I thought it was? Yes. And, and what's what, when you hit that brick wall, you're going, oh, that's something for this. But what comes out of the brick wall and the mistakes are the ones where you go, yes, when you get by it. Those is are the Is that even nicer when it turns into something totally it different? Is, it is the nicest feeling. Yeah. It, it's an absolute rush as well. Yeah. Like, you know, Can I yeah. just come in there? You have made seats out of cast iron, okay? So just explain, if they're cast iron bats and you have designed them, the seats, you've cut um, angles out of them and it's on a, a wooden base and you have uh, sculpted the wooden base. Um, and he's at this now a few months. 
and he was saying to me, it's not working, it's not right, it's not... And, and it, you spent a while thinking mm. about it and whatever. Mm. And what the finished product is, is beautiful. Yeah. Mm. But you were stuck. He was very stuck at it and we discussed it and, you know, and I just yeah. went, leave it. Just, just, just think about it. Don't, don't touch it. Don't get rid of it. Just leave it. But, yeah. just, but what's, what's, what I find about this journey is that if I'm looking at something and it just isn't right... I know in my in my head I go that's not right, yeah. and I have to either fix it or do some other path until I look at it and go yes that's it, and I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. But you'll always you know? reuse it. Yeah. If you don't use it on that project, mm. you leave it aside, and he'd say to me, "Oh, here's this now. Two years ago I started this, yeah. and it's yeah. there. Right. I use that with this. So nothing is nothing is left. Yeah. Nothing yeah. is thrown out. Even the small bits that are cut out, those I will keep those." And I'll use them in another project, yeah. you know. So everything gets smaller and smaller and smaller, so the minimum waste. But that's you know? how the mirrors came about. Yeah. Because the, we we make unique, bespoke, one-of-a-kind mirrors. They're all different sizes. But you incorporate the copper, all different types of the temporary sustainable wood, and uh, piping, mm. right, savage piping. Sorry. And they're just, but it's a way of not losing things, but the way you designed them, they're a piece of art. They're, yeah. they're just... You saw them here. They're yeah. just different, like. Mm. They're amazing. Mm. Mm. When you went to the RDS in Dublin then, I know that would have been a big showcase. For yes. You. How did that go? Great. Really, really well. Yeah? Yeah, really well. Really enjoyed it. Um, it went very well and uh, did an awful lot of networking, met people, sold quite a bit. Um, and I was actually kind of blown away with what customers were saying, the feedback, because genuinely, they, we actually were beside the cafe. So people would be sitting down having their lunch and then they'd they come over and our products are very they're very tactile so everyone yeah. is rubbing they're rubbing and they're cheeks and they're bending over and they're looking under the lampshades and look you know and wooden lampshades and do this kind of thing and I thought it was fascinating and from there I was asked would I do the ideal homes so we're doing the ideal homes in April in the 20 the weekend of the 21st of April and then we're doing the Mallow um show in for three for three days again in May so that's kind of where it's leading on to. And then we were um, approached, the uh, Design Council of Ireland, Craft Council of Ireland, have a competition. And it's all about sustainability and it's for businesses. So there's the, you know, new businesses, we'll say small businesses, the micro, so between zero and 10 um, employees. So we entered the competition. Um, it took quite a while to, um, you know, fill in the submission, etc. And we put forward four, four, five pieces. Um, and we were thrilled. We were shortlisted. So um, I suppose here is where it'd be lovely if people could give us a vote. Because it's a public vote. It's a public yeah. vote. There's judge. There are judges, but it's up, it's open to the public for voting um, until the March March fifth, and then uh, the shortlisting is is cut down again on March seventh. So we would really really appreciate if people could give us a vote. We you know we're up against established companies who have marketing uh, budgets and you know all of that. We're we don't. Yeah. But we have a product which, you know, customers really love and enjoy. And, and it's completely unique. And, and it's completely unique. And it's completely bespoke. You won't get it. I can't give you two of anything. because yeah. And your neighbour's never going to have, you know, yeah. one similar. But if people, I will have it on um, Metal and Mallet, um, our Facebook and Instagram. Um, I have a direct link. All you have to do is uh, put in your email address, and that's so. It, it's nothing got to do. With, it's the only reason you do that is so that people do not uh, vote twice, three yeah. times, and you I, you're straight to our um, page, and you just click vote, and that's it. It probably take five or six seconds, and I know people are sick of it because 
everybody's asked to vote. You know, you have Dancing with the Stars and we're listening, you know, you had, uh, in fairness, Molly, uh, we were just discussing yeah. earlier, she did brilliantly, very proud of her. Like, she's fantastic. Um, uh, but if people could get behind us, that'd be wonderful. Anyone who's looking to check out your stuff or to make contact with you, where's the best place to go? Um, my number is 86 We have a temporary website. Uh, they will, we will be updating it over the next uh, few months. Um, so just give us a buzz. Facebook. Or else www.metalandmallet, um, all one word, M-E-T-A-L-A-N-D, mallet, M-A-L-L-E-T dot com. So, um, and we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. So they're more than welcome to give us a buzz. I will post it as well on the Tip FM pages. Can I ask you then finally, what's the plan for the future? I know you're very much, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes and let's see how it, is that the attitude you're taking with this then as well? No. Oh, no. well, we're very precise. Nick. No, we are. <laughs> yeah. No, listen, you have to be, right? You genuinely have to be. Don't the artist, but I'm the one, I suppose, the dri- driving yeah. force. And that's, that's what works for us. I have completed um, a business craft course with TUS. Um, it's actually finishing in June. And um, I have to say, Leo, Mary has been fantastic, Mary Ryan. Um, and I mentorship at the moment. Um, and I have lots of courses, um, you know, in the pipeline for the next little while. It's just about getting into getting your name out there. Yeah, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Sales and marketing. Now we have our product. We know our product is good. We know from feedback from customers, our product, they love it, and they're you know the price is not an issue because they appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the the reality is is that I'm never going to stop creating. Yeah, I found you know what there's a quote from Mark Twain, and it goes, "The two greatest days of your life are the day you're born." And the day you discover why. And I know that this is what I was born to do. So even, God forbid, it doesn't take off, this house will be filled to the rafters with stuff because I'm not going to stop making full yeah. stop. So hopefully, you know, moves in that direction, you know. Wasn't that a fantastic uh, piece altogether? I love the uh, quotation from uh, Mark Twain as well. That's Nikki and Dunica speaking to our own Ali there about metal and uh, mallets. And we want to wish them the very, very best of luck. Indeed. Uh, referring back to my interview with uh, Katrina Kenny, um, a listener on to say what a fantastic interview with uh, Katrina. She's an amazing person and what a journey she's had to get her two beautiful girls. A very honest interview and hopefully will inspire older women. Well done to uh, Katrina, it says here as well. Uh, another listener saying super interview with uh, Katrina. She's a great lady, it says here. Um, James was on to say your interview with uh, Katrina was great such a strong person and um, I'm a fella and I still thoroughly enjoyed it says uh, James on 083 311 now uh, Rosemary was on to us to tell us that she found a mobile phone in the Lidl car park in Thurlis and uh, it has a red cover with cars on it and uh, Rosemary tells us she'll leave it in the Lidl store for the person who owns it. So if you lost your phone and you're frantically running around the place, that could be yours. It has a red cover with cars on it. The winner of our 100 euro voucher is... Uh, God, I need to change these glasses. Uh, Anne Costello of Two Mile Borough. So well done to you. And a 100 euro voucher uh, for you. And that's in association with our friends at Aramont. Uh, furniture in Nina and we have a voucher to give away every single day and it's my way of celebration of the brand new range of garden furniture.
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1800 938 007. Coincidentally, we were speaking about uh, Charlie Bird on the programme yesterday because I was confused as to what condition he had because I was talking to Fergal O'Keefe about uh, multiple sclerosis and then I wondered, was that what Charlie had? And uh, as it turns out, it's not, of course. It's motor neuron disease. And it was a coincidence because uh, I'm friends with him on Twitter and uh, when I got off the show, I saw saw a post from him and it just, I found it heartbreaking. This is Charlie's... um, Post. He said, I just want to thank the two female staff members of Bank of Ireland branch in Wicklow this morning who helped me with a problem I had. I cried uncontrollably for almost a half hour with them. They were just great. But at 73, crying is so much distressing, but I just can't stop. Isn't that just... It's not just heartbreaking. Your heart would go out to him, that's uh, for sure. Stephanie joins me now. Stephanie, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today. You want Thank to you. highlight uh, highlight the need for some free parking in Clonmel, Stephanie. What's what's your story? Yeah, um, I'm a carer, and um, like I'm used, to, I suppose I'm, I'm from County Waterford, mm. and in Dungarvan we have a half an hour free for parking all over town. You know, um, the like of me as a carer, if you to go to the chemist or you've got to pop in and get something for somebody, it's very handy. Mm. And um, I was in Clamel there two weeks ago and I had to go to the chemist and yes, I didn't put up a ticket. I totally forgot actually. Mm. And um, it wasn't very long, but when I came back, I had a 40 euro fine wow. um, on my car, you know. So it's, it's, it's upsetting. And in the times we're in, you know, finances with everybody is quite tight at the moment. And I went to pay the ticket then and I just said to the girls, you know, it's very bad that... There's no half an hour parking. I think there is in the old Tesco car park, mm. but on the main streets there's not. And yeah, you know, I was saying to her again about Dungarvan that there's a half an hour free, and you know, it's nice. It's encouraging people to come in, and you've got a half an hour to park if you've got a few things to do, or you're an older person, and you're just popping in for your paper or whatever. But um, she kind of thought that Care as well had an hour's free parking. So like. I just feel with Camel like it was the town for mm. years and years and like it's dwindling away bit by bit. But I think it should be encouraged that you uh, have a half an hour. Was it O'Connell Street you were on, Stephanie? Yeah, Gladstone Street. Gladstone Street, okay. All right. Yeah. And you were probably used to the fact that in Dungarvan you can park. I just, for, I totally forgot. Uh, yeah. Yes. Jumped yeah. out rushing and totally forgot and came back and saw the ticket on the windscreen, knowing straight away I'd got a fine of 40 euros. Um, yeah, I just think that the yeah. Clamel Council should look at, you know, having that half an hour, I think it's an incentive as well. Mm. But are, are you telling me, because I'm just, uh, I'm always confused about parking time, because it seems to me there's no uniformity to it around the county. So it's a, uh, is, is there any free parking time at all on Gladstone Street and on uh, O'Connell Well, Street? not that I'm aware right, okay. of that there is. I just know in the old Tesco car park, I think 
that's a half an hour free. About half an hour free, yeah. And I'm not sure, but, you know, it's, I, I'm not aware. Usually I put a ticket up, but... Of course, yeah. It, you know, I just was really, really annoyed. I wasn't there that long, you know, and I just think there should be a little bit of discretion. See, I know they take the number of plates of the cars that they passed and maybe they pass back again and see, well, look, you know, that's 10 or 15 minutes and there's still no ticket on this car. Yeah, uh, Dungarvan is quite different to most of the towns around the country. Now, it is thriving, it appears to me, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant town. Even the centre of the town way. there is thriving, you know? Yeah, you know, in every way. And, and I suppose all the businesses are great. They have a committee and they want to put all this into the town, you know, to bring the people into the town and have it looking nice. And like if businesses are not being used, they kind of insist, you know, with the council that they're done up or painted or made presentable. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a booming town, like, in every way. What everybody's pulling together is what you're saying exactly. to me, Stephanie. Is that yeah. it, yeah? Yeah. Because, I mean, the restaurants there are absolutely fantastic. The coffee shop, the Fabulous. pubs as well, absolutely great, you know? You know, you've, you've a big choice of restaurants, and then you have the Greenway, and you've loads of coffee shops. Like, nearly every week there's something new mm. opening up in Dungarvan. Well, that, From restaurants to coffee shops to... Is, is it fair shop. to say, Stephanie, and I know you're a Waterford woman, but is it fair to say that Clonmel could be that? Of course it could. Yeah. Like, I worked, my first job was in Clamell. Like, I, I, you know, I do a lot of my business in Clamell. And it was the town. And even when we were young, if you didn't get to Clamell on a Saturday, it was like you hadn't been to town all week. You know, right. it was probably way ahead of Dungarvan. Right. But it just lost that sparkle. I mean, from coming in from the front of the town even. Do you know, there's, it's not enticing. There is nothing. Even the main street is dwindling away, you know, slowly. Mm, businesses Shops closing are closed down. down yeah. Businesses are closing down. People are struggling. I mean, look at um, Marketplace. I mean, mm. Superquin, it was the okay. place. Yeah. I mean, we shopped every week in Superquin, do yeah. you know? And you had beautiful little shops around it and you had a coffee shop there. It was gorgeous. Now yeah. it's just derelict. But, when but you the, the rates there, and now again, I'm not sure what the comparison is with, is with uh, Dungarvan, but the rates at on Marketplace at that stage was comparable to Grafton Street in Dublin, for God's sake. Yeah, know? but you see, make that's it. Like they need to sit down as a town and and you know find out where it's going wrong. And like that with rates, they need to make it more incentive. You know, even for young people starting off in a business, mm. they don't want to be there. You know, because they can't afford it. They just can't afford rates and, and all this and, stuff and, and pay can, staff and overhead. Can I invade your privacy a little and ask mm. you, did €40 Euro put a bit of a dent in the budget if you're a carer, Stephanie? Yes, it did. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. yeah. I and could have cried to hand it over, really. <laughs> yeah. You know, but again, if you don't pay it within the 28 days, it's gone up to €60 Euros or whatever. Is, so, yeah, I know. You know, it, you just don't have a choice. You have to pay it there and then and that's it. You know, and as I say, I'm not looking for sympathy, I didn't put the ticket on the car, mm. but just ran to the chemist and came back and had mm. a ticket. Yeah, but you you're, know, hi- I you're highlighting it, yeah. Yeah, do you know. Yeah. And I'm sure there's plenty of people do it, what I did as well, do you know, they may need to just pop in for that few mm. minutes for mm. something. I got a little bit more held up than what I thought in the chemist. You know, and these things happen. But mm. I just think Clanmel need to look at a better way of encouraging people to come into the town, shop in the town, even the like of me, people from outside the town. Well, Stephanie, you make your point very well and I wish you well and thank you so much for coming on with us this morning. Thank you very much, Thanks, friend. Stephanie. Have thank a you. Nice you bye, too. Bye. You too. Bye, and uh, bye. look after yourself. That's Stephanie speaking to us there. That's it uh, for me. Emma produced. Ali looks after our content. Stephen is on the way and I will talk to you tomorrow. You'll be good now, won't you? Bye-bye.
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 